belly button that up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell. I've been stretching. It's all very fucking professional. Well, we've seen him do it in movies, mate, so <laughs> we might as well. You get on the podcast circuit? Yeah, I've done a few, but yep. done heaps over the years. Yep. And I've got my own. Like, I do 10 minutes a day. That's right. You do the daily It's like 2,400 of them or something now. Yep. Yeah, so, mate, I'm good. Nothing's off limits, boys. Whatever you want to talk about. Good. Fucking good as same, going. Same on this end. I mean, that's something we have been talking about a lot lately. Is, it's like, where do we do we need to separate the brand of the, the podcast away from the charity so we can be completely open and, and actually – Get boys on like we got an XSAS bloke coming on the Savo. Like, awesome. We want to be able to tell real stories, and obviously people have got to protect what they've got to protect. But half we, we we get a lot of pushback from big companies and stuff going, "Hey, you got to be careful like where you go if you want CSR funding." It's like well, our whole fucking point of difference is we're real, and, and that just means they're not your they're not your companies, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's well, that's, that's how true. I've looked at it with my stuff. Like I'm pretty raw and open, even in military police, how I talk to people. And the cops, the Queensland police have shut down a lot of my talks lately because they had a blue with their head psych about mental health. And But I'm just sort of like, fuck it. Like I'm not going to water down who I am and pretend to be someone else because it's just there's no authenticity in that. Well, that's, I think that's the biggest problem with the world today. 100%. Like we, political correctness, I mean, we can talk about that all day, but the the, young, the, the people on the ground, the people on the cold face need something real, something authentic because that's what's missing. And then if you go well at it, and the people at the top of the food chain are like, oh, how do I how do I get a piece of that, whatever they've got? And it's like, well, you can't because you, you water it down and, and then no one wants it anymore. But so. it's only the wrong ones, that's I reckon. Like I go, but I've had heaps of people. Look, I do a lot of corporate work, a lot of CEOs and people that come out of the woodwork and go, I love what you do because you're honest and you're raw, you're not full of shit. Yeah. I had a guy, I was down at the military in Adelaide on um, Wednesday and a bloke came up to me at the end and then he sent me an email and he goes, that was the best fucking thing I've ever seen. I said, oh, that's awesome, mate. He goes, when I walked in here, I looked at you and I said, like, I polish it. And he goes, you look like some Grant Daniel-looking motherfucker. He said, I thought this would be shit. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's good or bad. But it's that, like, people who resonate will resonate. And I think there's so many people trying to be politically correct and trying to be sterile. It, you can't do it. It just yeah. doesn't work. Well, it's a, it's a touchy subject to go into. And I think they're worried about cowboys going into the field and, and saying random stuff. But if you can't relate to the people, and, and, I, th and I keep saying this and I say it as much as I can, um, there's just two versions of society. There's like the Carl Stefanovic Today Show version yep. where, you know, this is the narrative that we go down and then the actual underlying current, how, how people think, act, and live their lives. And that is not palatable with the people who are taking their own lives at the moment and doing this sort of stuff. Well, so, mate, I, it's the... I call it, um, so my partner, like I said before, does high performance coaching. She's a genius. Her only fault is she has low self-worth in partners. But other, <laughs> other than that, she's on fire. And she, uh, she said to me, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She said to me ages ago, it's a really good um, example I use. She said, you know, if you've seen Cirque du Soleil, the front of house, when if you and I went and watched that stage show, it's brilliant. Behind it, behind the curtain, there's a shit show. Like things are breaking, people are panicking, it's all going pear-shaped. And she said, but you realise everybody compares their back of house to everyone else's stage show. Mm. So I'm here, like I come here, I'm a bit nervous. I'm like, I don't know you boys, I don't want to be a cockhead. When I walk out of here, every time I get emotion, uh, emotional vulnerability hangover, I go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? But if you're not raw and honest, if I present a version of me that's bullshit, then people look at that and go, oh, that's real. Then they're trying to match that. Same with you boys with your podcast. Like there's a responsibility to be open and honest. Because yeah. otherwise there's young and old men and women out there who are looking at you or me and going, oh, those, oh, that's not me. I'm fucked, but those guys are great. Mm. Like it's just not okay. 
That's why people are killing themselves at you know record numbers. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. We 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 do that, and there's I think we've swung really hard. The social media boom kind of well, Instagram in particular encouraged people to 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 show their stage show version of themselves. I think we're swinging back, and people are like we know it's all bullshit now. Can we just get some some real authentic people? And and I mean, we were talking about Rogan. Obviously, this studio is probably a bit better than his, but um, <laughs> before before we hit go, but but I think he he's the the. Um, canary in the coal mine. Like he's the one leading the way, going. I'm just going to fucking tell it how, how I see it, and then people are flocking to it. Um, it's got a couple hundred million downloads an episode or something. Yeah, that's just show. It's the biggest media platform on the planet because yeah. people are sick of fucking canned bullshit. Yeah, I love him, mate. I think he's awesome, Doctor yeah. Rogan. I get all my Good medical advice from him. So you did. You had a pretty extensive career in the cops, and then that took you to some places and saw some things and. What I'm interested in is that whole – what's going through your mind when you're ex- getting exposed to this sort of stuff? Because when you're younger, you kind of feel like, you know, this is just part of it. It's like a badge of honor and a tick. And then as you get down the track, you're like, oh, maybe some of those scars weren't so cool. Um, and then and then sort of getting out of the cops and, and going on from there. Do you want to take us through it? Because I get a bit of a background. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I joined the cops in like 1989 at 19, um, joined the dog squad at 22, did 13 years in the police, nine in the dog squad. And dog squad is all high tempo, high violence policing. You, German Shepherd, you have a dog, the gun, your car at home. So you basically, I was 22. My opinion, it wasn't the police department's opinion, was they sort of said, here's your gun, your dog, your car, go berserk. That wasn't what they meant. <laughs> That's what I thought. So you just do all of the most violent, high-tempo stuff and you don't really have supervisors, so there's nobody going slow down. And I've got a very ADHD personality and it was awesome because I have I loved all of the work, like the violence and that I loved. But again, what we're talking about with the Cirque du Soleil, I'd turn up to these jobs that were pretty violent, look at everyone else and they had the mask on, that good alpha male or female mask. I'm shit myself because that's a normal response. I didn't realise that was normal. I thought I was weak. Yeah. Then went so the the longer I was in it, the harder I pushed to try and prove I was a tough guy and prove that I was worthy of some of the respect that I was getting from cops. So cops would say to me, "You're a lunatic. You're loose." Which you know in the army or police vernacular is, you know, you're brave or courageous, but you don't use those words. <laughs> and um, my old man was a cop for forty two years. He's loose, re- like got a few gongs for bravery and different things, been in shootings, and so for me it was just I loved it like what I do now, and so I'm obsessive about it. So I do it a 1,000 miles an hour. And as I started, I didn't realise, Max, as time went on, I talk about the um, frog in the boiling water. You've, you've heard that Slow analogy. frogs, yeah. Yeah, so for your listeners, it's basically you put frogs, you know, some they did a, an experiment in the Boston Union in the 1950s. You put a frog in a cold pot of water, heat it up incrementally over a long period of time, and it boils and the frog dies, doesn't realise it's getting hotter. So that was my experience. And then I come out the back of it at 32, like I was drinking heavily. I was getting more violent in the police and seeking out more violence. And in that job, good or bad, if you want to find it, you can find it. And then, you know, drinking like it was an Olympic sport on the weekends and, you know, running around, you know, a thousand broken relationships and lunacy and getting in fights in pubs, just that standard sort of thing that all of our personalities do. But to me, man, I just didn't realise it could be any different. Then I come out of it at 31 after spending – years battling suicide. It wasn't just like I took about three nights, I lay in bed with a Glock pistol going to shoot myself. It wasn't three nights, it was freaking years, many years. And off the back now, 20 years post my career, I look back and go, fuck, they were the best days of my life. 
I still think from now on will be the best days, if that makes sense. But that was the most fun I've ever had. And I'll never get that opportunity again. But a lot of it for me is helping younger you know, men and women in whatever it is understand that you can have a fucking great time doing those jobs, military, police, whatever, but you've got to realise it must impact you. There's got to be some impact. It can't not. Absolutely. And it's got to end as well at some point. The, the ride's got to stop. It does, mate, because you can't – like I've got mates of mine that are my age that are still in the dog squad and they're jumping fences, you know, chasing 14-year-old kids from stolen cars. I couldn't think of anything worse. But they love it, but they're burnt out. And you can see they're at a stage of going only eight years to go till 60s of mandatory retirement in Queensland. And you see them hold on to their – to the end of their career and then they think they're going to be happy. But I'm like, you won't be because you've had 30 years of impact. You're not going to wake up on your 60th birthday, retire from the cops and go, I'm a really happy, decent human. You're going to be a shit fucking pain in the ass if you haven't dealt with it. Yeah. Uh, well, there's, what, what's the chances of, of the transition model actually when you, you know, like you, you see guys, especially in the army as well, they, they, they hold on till, you know, mandatory retirement age and then they get out and then they don't have time to build another A identity because I'm a retired army guy yep. and they don't go into another career and then you see them really suffer and just fall off and die. Like you see those old blokes that you see brickies, 77 years old, mm. stop lifting bricks and sit down and. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's that. So the, the, the transition for the police is you working today, tomorrow you're gone. That's it. There's no, like there's no DVA. There's none of that, that the military has. But for cops, I think. And soldiers definitely, and I've spent about four or five years doing a fair bit with military, so I sort of understand. I've got a couple of really good mates I've met through that who are, who are military. And the thing that I find really difficult to get across to people, and I touched on it with Sutz on the way in, I go, just because you've left that organisation doesn't mean you've, the person's different. So I joined the cops, you boys joined the military because of your personality, because you're probably pretty fucking loose, you probably did shit house at school, we're always in trouble, like those standard personalities, right? I've been reading my school reports. <laughs> yeah, that's right. like all, the standard, Sean, Sean has all the potential in the world. He doesn't apply himself, you yeah. know, that standard sort of stuff. So you still got that personality. So what I do now, I realise that it wasn't the uniform. It was me, the personality, that why I love that job. And I can still be that same person outside of that. It takes some time to settle into where that is, but you've really got to be committed. To me, it's about... I got 99% of people live in mediocrity or misery. I'm going to live in the 1%, so I'm going to do the shit that no one else does. So it's embracing that sort of loose personality to keep pushing down that line to be happy. Yes, because that's what you're, you're doing, the high-performance piece now. Why is that – is it because of – is it the ADD or is it because you drive to, to succeed? What's, what's the – well, it's probably all of that. Like I, I do a lot of resilience and mental health for police and military and that's like the majority of where I make my money in my business is, is corporate coaching with, you know, CEOs, lawyers, you know, business owners. But I call it high-performance coaching because I call it human behaviour and high-performance because if you talk about mental health all the time, people shut down and run away. If you talk about high-performance, people go, oh, fuck yeah, I want to be a more, more of a high-performer. It's all the same shit. Yeah. Still dealing with stress, impact, resilience. So I, I sort of put it in a different um, packaging so people are more open to talk about it. Because it's all this. I was talking to a guy this morning when I was riding my bike down here and he's like, oh, I want to catch up, mate. I'm stressed about this and that. And he's runs a business with 20 people in it. I'm like, yeah, mate, no dramas. Let's catch up when I get back to Brisbane. Now, 90% of what we'll talk about will be stress, imposter syndrome, fear, anxiety. But if you call it that, 
then personalities like ours don't come anywhere fucking near you. Mm. So that's yeah. why I call it high performance. Mate, we, we, we've talked about this a bit um, offline, and that is the, the spectrum in, in Western medicine even today or, or, or in the health space, the, the spectrum of, of mental health is anxious, depressed, and suicidal is the, the bad end. And then well is is the, the and I'm like, no, no, that's the middle. The the, the right end of Absolutely. the spectrum is high performing, like killing it at life. And that's the problem. You can't flex mental health. So no no blokes think it's cool and sexy and want to be a part of it. You could sell gym memberships till the cows come home, sell memberships to a mental health club and good fucking luck, right? No mm-hmm. one wants to get involved with it. Um, until we start framing it like, no, no, this isn't we're not we're not fixing bad mental health, we're making you a superhuman. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll get involved in that. Like even even down to the, I mean, we talk about it a hundred times. The getting getting veterans into meditation can't do it. Yeah, get them get them into high performance breathing. Piece of piss. Everyone wants to do it. But um, mate, not to switch gears backwards, but you're talking about potential. This is something I have never explored. We're talking about like most of the blokes join the cops, join the military. Same when you're at school, getting shit report cards, and they're always saying has huge amounts of potential and and does fuck all in class. And that that is pretty standard across For the board. Sure. I don't know. Have, have good, you ever well, thought good about good cops or soldiers, mate? The good yeah, ones are like yeah. that. Right? Yeah, and and I think that's <laughs> that that is something that that needs to be looked at too. It's like, is that what what everyone's still chasing the dragon when they get out? It's like I've got this potential. I've done a bunch of cool stuff, but have I really maxed? My, my biggest fear in life is um, un, unachieved potential. Yeah. Like, not not failing at stuff. I don't mind failing at stuff, but I don't want to die going. I could have done stuff. I'm like there, there is shit there that I had the ability to do, and that I don't know. Like maybe that is part of like the cop and the military mindset that when you leave, half of the things that are that are kind of getting you depressed is like, well, was there more I could have squeezed out of that career? So how old are you, boys? What are you? Thirty six. Thirty seven. Yeah, cool. So that and that's a, it's a weird thing, right? You guys probably feel like you're running out of time. That'd be a fair call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's so funny. Well, the body tells me it is, mate. Fucking yeah, yeah, right. So I'm um. Like I train hard and do a lot of, like I have an ice uh, chest freezer at home. I do ice baths and sauna and blah, blah for high performance, but 90% of it's just fucking vanity. You know, and anyone who says they train for anything other than vanity as their primary driver is just full of shit, right? Okay, that's why we all trade. So when I look at the potential piece at 52, I've had enough life now. Like I would think of even a lot of my friends, I'm on this motorbike ride for police legacy at the moment. And I was in um, like near Cessnock last night with the boys and I'm hanging out and they're all sort of in their 50s. And I'm looking around at them and like a lot of them are like, oh, mate, you know, you seem really fit and blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, so I got up and did 50 push-ups this morning because I can't go to the gym and I have a cold shower because I don't have an ice bath. And they're like, oh, fuck, no, I couldn't have a cold shower. And I'm going, well, you could. <laughs> you just fucking choose not to. And I had a guy, not this trip, 12 months ago we did it, who's an ex-military, um, uh, sorry, ex-police um, guy, was a boss of mine and he did a bit of time in the military. And he's got PTSD. And he said to me, um, he goes, oh, mate, you know, my PTSD is really bad. How's yours? I said, fucking cure it. Don't have it. He goes, oh, but you can't cure it. I said, maybe you fucking can't. I said, yeah. I can. Because yeah. it's all belief, right? And he's like, oh, the doctor said mine can't be cured. I said, the doctor's fucking told me that too. I said, who says that it can't be? And that whole potential thing kills me because he goes, oh, I don't know why mine's so bad. I said, really? It's a belief system. I said, I'll tell you. I said, but you're not going to like it. And he was, he's like, we're pretty good friends. I worked for him, you know, many years ago. And, you know, he's, he's, a, he's the next tactical dude. Like, he's a pretty hard personality. He goes, oh, no, no, I really want to know. I said, well, you're fat as fuck. I said, you're probably 25 kilos overweight. 
I said, you're half full of piss. I said, you're smoking. I said, I bet you're on antidepressants. And he goes, yeah. I said, what's it say on the side of the fucking box? He goes, oh, don't drink alcohol. I go, and you're surprised why you feel like shit? I said, mate, really? I said, you, you just want people to feel sorry for you? He goes, no, I don't. I said, well, you do. Now, I haven't seen him this year yet on the ride. I might have offended him. He won't come back. But when I do, I bet you he's probably the same guy because people's belief systems is, oh, well, if somebody tells you you can't do a thing, then they just believe they can't do it. And it's even, then the potential piece to me comes at 52, I'm like, I want to live to I'm 110. And I look at it and go, there's, there's a pretty good chance of that with medical technology and all this other sort of stuff. I've found this new supplement out of the States, a company called Bioprotein Tech or Biotech.com or something. It's called Biopro. So it's a, a natural human growth hormone enhancer. So it's not synthetic. So I've had a crack at that and I'm like, fuck, I feel really good. I'm healthy. I'm happy. A couple of you know, guys I know, and, um, a SWAT guy and who's a mad BJJ guy over there was using it and a mate of mine here. And I'm like, fuck, I'll give that a crack. Where I go, most blokes my age and even most blokes your age in their mid-30s are like, no, oh, you know, it's too, oh, it's too expensive. Or I'm like, I will spend less on that over a year than most people spend drinking piss. Mm. But it's just that mindset and the potential belief to go, oh, well, I can't do any more because no one else around me does more. That's one of the big issues. Yeah, the, that belief systems, uh, we, we do it a lot of stuff for some workshops lately and – you see guys get it and they diagnosis are the worst because they live up to them yep. and they, they believe it. And I don't know whether it's like, is it because we're in the military and, and the army, I don't want to blame that or it's still a, a thought that I'm starting to think through is this hierarchical system in the army. People tell you this, therefore you do it and believe it. <clears throat> but when you get out, this PTSD thing, there's guys that, that get diagnosed with it and then they start falling off a cliff and you're like, dude, you were better five years after you come home 100%. Than when you're in the thick of it. And they do. They don't do anything to better themselves. And and the power of the placebo, that's where it builds into. You can believe everything to a point. There was a, there was a female in America and it was in one of the studies. She, they gave her a diabetic yep. tablet mm -hmm. and she, they said, this is going to spike your insulin. And she took it and it spiked her insulin. She's not diabetic. Like this is a, is that a Tony Robbins a, had a one? But it's it was, a placebo. Mm. Yeah, it was a pill, placebo. A sugar pill. Yeah, it was a sugar pill. It's amazing. Yeah. I was listening to Matty Morris from Zero Limits when you um, yeah. podcast with him yesterday. Like he's a, he's a good dude. Um, and when he said, he said, anybody who's done the jobs that you or I've done will have PTS, like post-traumatic stress. Like 100% because you've been in traumatic events. There'll be a post that event stress. But who said that's bad? Like I look now and go, I've been shot at before and people try to stab me and in a thousand fights and, you know, chasing people through the bush and backyards in the middle of the night with a dog. And I never thought of it like this when I was a dog healer, but essentially the dog's trained to drag you into an ambush. That's its fucking job. Like it makes no sense. And I was at the dog squad recently with the boys and, and girls and I said, if you do this job, I said, you've got to be loose before you start. Same as like who joins the military? Who goes, you know what, I'm going to go and train to fucking kill people and then hopefully... I get a trip overseas and I get to fucking go on a 21-day hike around Afghan and get fucking shot at. Like you guys would go, yeah, like look at your smile yeah. and like, Whoa, best job ever, right? Yeah. You go, so you've got to be a bit fucking loose anyway. But then guys and girls get out of those jobs. And I think it is the military and the paramilitary hierarchy where you go, do this, believe this, do that. Like we're taught in school, it's the same thing. My daughter's 17 and a half finishing high school. And I was talking to her the other day and – I don't talk to her that often. Her mum and I have had some challenges over the years, divorced. 
But I was talking the other day and she goes, um, oh, Dad, I said, you're not going to school much, babe. What's going on? She's there about 60 or 70% of the time. Like, And she goes, oh, she's going to be a nurse. She knows what she's doing. She's got a shit squared. She's my personality. I think her mum's DNA watered her down enough that she probably won't be as loose or won't damage her as much as mine is. But she said, oh, well, you know, Dad, the teachers are more worried about what ribbons in our hand, whether our shoelaces are done up. She goes, in two months I'm going to be out in the world. And I said, yeah, absolutely, babe. And she goes, you know what? They're telling us if you don't do really well at the end of year exams and year 12 exams, you'll never amount to anything. I said, really? Still. I'm like, that's just fucking bullshit. I said to her, I said, babe, you're 17. I said, you will live for another 83 years to 100 easily, her generation. I said, you can fuck everything up from now till 30, start then and you'll be fine, mate. And she goes, yeah. Because I go, it's crazy. But it's the same stuff for military cops. I want you to leave. You'll never do anything better. You'll never, you'll never get a great job. You know, you won't be able to make money. And the PTSD stuff, we just tell all these people that life's going to be hard. It sucks. You think of what people talk about generally in their lives. You don't catch up with your mates and go, hey, what's happening? They don't go, fuck, oh, man, life's awesome. It's the best thing ever. Everybody tells you the worst stuff and then you end up in some pity party trying to better each other's fucking bullshit misery. And that's where yeah. I think it, we get stuck. Mate, I, I think both of those go together. You take a group of people who who had a lot of potential, wanted to be high-performing, hit 30, gen, or, or yeah. around the 30, 40 yep. mark, get out. And you're like, all right, cool, I've been told there's nothing good anymore in life. It's like, So you normally would be starting to get a bit depressed. Anyway, then you, you, you couple that with a, a PTSD diagnosis where it's like addictive behaviour where you can go, it's okay if I drink, smoke, and be a fat piece of shit because I got PTSD, and yeah. so so society will accept it. It's 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 a, it's not a badge of honor. It's like it's my excuse, and it's going to be okay. And it's like we were all really good at at suffering and training hard and going through pain if there was a big win at the end. And for these people, then they have to suffer, go through hard stuff, and get their shit together. But the win is just to get back to baseline. Yeah, I, I think that's people just fucking give up, and they're like, the reward is not high enough. The reward of being a normal person isn't isn't what I've ever chased before. Therefore, I'm just going to sit here in comfort, drinking, smoking, eating shit food, and and taking antidepressants every day. And, and it's I think both of them work together. And the, the I mean, I'm, I'd love to hear your opinion, but the only way out of it is if we start teaching people, training people's brains to go, there is shit, exciting shit to do, post forty, post fifty. Um, I think it's simple such, right? Because I look at it like this. It sounds wanky, but I go, we are all warrior personalities, right? Would you guys say that? Yeah, yeah. It feels real uncomfortable, right? That that face is perfect. Mex, <laughs> you, Mex looks up like, oh, I sound like a cockhead. I hope no one hears this, right? <laughs> but that's standard because we all feel like that. And I go, because, and I'm self-diagnosed ADHD, but there's no fucking doubt about it. As I start looking at my life and I'm more obsessive about being positive, I was obsessive about being a sad motherfucker when I left the police with PTSD. I was obsessed with drinking piss, taking coke and eckies, burying myself. And I surrounded myself with, like I was in the corporate world, I didn't hang out with cops much because I was embarrassed about leaving and I felt like a coward and blah, blah, blah. And I just cut and left. I didn't take money. I didn't get a pension, didn't do anything because I was just embarrassed. One psych who would, under the the police system, they uh, it's an insurance claim, so they're trying to shut down the claim. He said to me, oh, you're good, mate. You should go back to work. There's nothing wrong with you. Now, I didn't realise, that was 20 years ago, that that's his job. Other people were like, oh, you've you know, got PTSD like a Vietnam veteran, and I'm like, fuck off. So I just listened to him and went, I knew I was a coward. Out of all the information, I picked the one thing that matched my poor me mentality, left. 15 years in the corporate world, and I met more psychopaths there than in the job like I – and I met some great people, but it's just soulless. 
Mm. And it's only in the last few years since I've been back doing stuff with cops, hanging out with soldiers, and I'm like, that's who I am. At the core of who I am at 52, like I'm an old fucking white man, but I'm probably fitter and harder than I've ever been. I started doing BJJ like fucking six weeks ago. So I'm like, I want to get back into fighting and fucking getting pushed to my limits. I'm going to SHOT Show in the States in January with a mate of mine who's the next two commando dog handler. He's 32. I met him five months, four or five months ago through a mate of mine. He's loose as fuck. Origin Canine is his business. Look him up. Great bloke. Is that uh, Melbourne? No, no. Or he's Gold Coast. Gold Coast. Tom Brown, his name is. He's really, he's a good dude. He'd be a good one for you boys to interview, actually. He's loose as fuck, as in, and the same as me. And just, we were talking like we just clicked. Now he's 20 years younger than me. But I like hanging out with him because he's fucking driven. I go, most guys my age, I'm like, what, should we get cardigans and fucking teapots and sit on the, on the front deck, you know? I'm like, let's go and do shit. So we go to the States because I want to try and do stuff with the police and military in the States. Go on a shot show, which is the police and military trade show. I've been out of the cops 20 years. So I went, a mate of mine who um, teaches, you know, weapons, I'm going doing some training with him on M4s because we no, never had them when I was in the cops and pistols. So when I go over there, I don't look like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. But most people would go, you need to be fucking committed. Like, that makes no sense. But I go, that's my personality. But we don't encourage people to really tap into that lunatic personality. The stuff that had you guys want to strap on weapons and body armour and go to war had me want to chase people in the cops. We then dull that down when we leave and try and be normal. And I go, that's where there's so much mental health because we're not fucking normal. No one that listens to this who served in our organisations are normal. And there's a whole lot of guys and girls that haven't that aren't normal. But everyone's trying to fit this little rounded edges, soft softly spoken PC world, but that's just not the majority of our personalities. Yeah, it's, it's um, so if you earn an income that's what over like $48,000, you're in the top 3% or 1% of the world. And so using that metric, yeah. if we use that and we go, um, so the Western world is the abnormal, like that where we live and how we live is abnormal. The rest of the world doesn't, A, have the standard of living, B, have to deal with the level of comfort and security that we have if you go anywhere else in the world that's not in the western world which is the minority of the population you've probably got a good chance of getting stabbed shot or mugged going down the street you, yep as a kid you've probably seen murders and 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 that so the rest of the world has probably lives in a state of pds and that's probably the normality when you go overseas and you learn adapt not maladaptive but your body creates these adaptive strategies for coping with stressful situations there they're evolutionary, like they're done through evolution. Definitely. When you come back and you go, now you've got to fit back into the Western world, which is 1% of the world's population. You go, hang on, you can't you can't check a room for, you know, you sit down in a corner and you know there's little maladaptive strategies that don't work when we come back. Um, and that's the thing is that it, it is teaching people and not carrying on about it, but it, it doesn't have to, it's not PTSD. It's just you, your body has created some coping strategies for that environment and you're not in it anymore. Let me ask you a question. We'll, we'll sound weird and I hope you boys agree. When you walk into a room or you're walking down the street, are you constantly like doing CQB, clearing it when you walk in when, with your eyes, the way you move, just subconsciously? I think I make minor assessment. Like, Yeah. Well, I get well, same as complacency. In in new places, yeah. I mean, if yeah. it's the same old street you've walked a hundred times before, definitely, definitely notice. I mean, I did notice a lot when I first got up over the first few years. It's like and I think it was almost a game in my head going, Oh, I could pretend I'd still in and like hundred percent. And it was good. But then I get 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 complacent, become a hippie, live in the eastern suburbs, don't of worry course, about anything. Your beautiful haircut, mate, you got a lot <laughs> happening, right? So you go, it's that 
But it's that thing where I go, when I'm walking, when I walk in here, I'm not like, I don't have my hands up pretending I'm holding a weapon, but in my mind, I'm looking at where places are. And and again, I heard, because I, I was listening to it on the way down, the one you did with Matt, and I'm like, it's the same thing. I'm not, it doesn't stress me. But if I sit in a cafe, I'm going to sit where I can see what's going on because that's just my personality. And I hope, like, it'd be like winning the gold lotto if someone came in to hold the place up or some, you know, some bloke went to try and hit his, assault his missus. I'd be like, oh, this is fucking Christmas because then you'd get to go and, you know, pull him on, which you guys, if the three of us were having lunch and some guy started arcing up and smashing things, we wouldn't be like, oh, someone better do something about that. <laughs> you'd be racing each other to go and sort him out. Yeah, this is something I'd want a table, um, um, chair, sorry. Um, so uh, there's a young doctor, he's doing a med degree and he got he left the army early, he got injured and wanted to go SAS. So he's got this drive to to just be involved in the community. And, he, and, and so I, I sort of said this to Adrian the other day. So he's doing this study where he goes, he wants to do a study and he's talking like Harry Moffat and, and some of the yep. guys we've got. So uh, Barry Schwarzstein, and he wants to know if his, if his theory is bullshit. I said, well, come on the podcast, table it and, and let's see how we go. And he's like, no, 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 imposter syndrome. He's like, oh, 100%. I'm, like, I'm a fourth year med student and I, I didn't go anywhere and I don't know if this is right, but this is what I want to look at. And he said, the lethality, you get trained to be lethal in cops and army. And and this is probably going to go over to the corporate world when we talk about sociopaths and psychopaths and stuff like that. So you get trained to be lethal in the army, and then that lethality leads to homicidality, where mm-hmm. you do have young kids that want to go overseas and and kill people and be a hero and do all those things, and and the drive to run towards guns, and then that turns into suicidality when you can't do that to somebody else and you get out and you turn that onto yourself. And he's like, is there a link on this pathway or is it all bullshit? And that's, I was like, fuck, that's a good. I, I agree wholeheartedly. There's one thing that I would tweak on it. I think he's a hundred percent onto it. So I've been studying human behavior for 17 years, right? Pretty, in, pretty intensely. And I look at it and think we train in, in lethality. Definitely. But I'd go back a step and go, the personality that takes you into that job is pretty loose, like we talked about. And I mean, it's the alpha male or alpha female personality. It's that one, two, where you're risk-taking as as a teenager, you're probably doing stupid shit, you know, all that stuff, which I did all that. You boys would, you know, riding dirt bikes, whatever, fighting, whatever. Then you go and train to kill people. But I think it's it's even deeper than that, right? Because young blokes would go, I want to go overseas and kill people, but they don't actually have the drive to be homicidal, I don't believe. It's a drive to have an impact and it's a drive to do something other people can't do. So we're 98.8% the same DNA as chimpanzees. That's that's the science. So when you look at it, there's that want to be up higher in the pecking order of the tribe. It's the want to be the, the toughest and the strongest. And that's a way to to express that. So they may in their mind, and young guys, you know, well, we all oh, we'll go and, you know, get in a gunfight, I don't care. Nobody loves taking other people's lives, I think, unless you're a sociopath or a psychopath, obviously. But when you're a young guy who's been in that environment and you've had to do that, then one of the biggest impacts and what you're saying spot on makes people go to do it and then either don't or they lose that opportunity or don't get on a trip. Like you boys would have seen a thousand guys who, especially in the infantry units or who've gone and trained and then never got to go overseas and it really messed with them. And then they come back and it gets that violence gets driven inwards. But I don't think it's the violence, not the want to hurt people. It's that not having fulfilled the purpose. Then you come back and and that's where people end up being suicidal. 
So I think he's 100% on the money. I think that's a slight tweak where I don't think it's driven by the want to kill. It's driven by the want to do something significant. And then if you come back and you don't find an outlet for that, be it training, like I've just started doing jiu-jitsu, but jiu-jitsu is awesome for that. Because when I look at all of the hardest guys I know that I love, mates of mine that are ex-tactical guys or SF dudes or whatever, guys like Jocko Willink and Joe Rogan and Andy Stumpf and Mike Glover, all those guys, and they're all mad into it. So I go, there's got to be something in it. And when it started doing it, I'm like, oh, this is fucking awesome because it's super uncomfortable. It's it's weirdly enjoyable rolling around with sweaty men trying to choke you out, which I didn't think it would be, but I'm, in, I'm enjoying that too much. But it's actually getting to that point of going, I think it's, again, that unfulfilled potential, but it's also that unsatisfied part of our personality that is still very, at our base, like very primal. Primal. Thanks, mate. 100%. And I think that's where it gets fucked because the guys – who end up taking their life, feel isolated. They feel kicked out of the tribe, lose their identity. They're in the point where they think they're weak, which if you go back to that tribal primal thing, if you're, if you're weak, you get kicked out of the tribe and you die because you're no good to anyone. And that's where they turn on themselves. And it's the suicide. I talked to heaps of people about suicide. And even when I was battling it, I didn't want to end my life. I wanted the pain to stop. And I hear that from people all the time. And the pain stops when you find a way for the outlet of that lunacy into something else so that you're not carrying that around internally. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, what was your – your you had a different sort of take on well, it. Well, I, I just – I mean, again, like everything we're talking about this morning, you, it's, it's, you, it's holistic. You put it all together and then we'll probably find an answer at, at some stage. But I, I think the first part is we – it goes back to our primal origins or, or anthropologically, like where, where we separated – our psychology to have like a duality of man, like internally in everyone there's good and evil and, and we've been brought up in a world that teaches you that it's okay to, to, to kill but only if they're evil and that's why we've got these fantastic propaganda machines that tell us that everyone we're going to war against must be evil. Yep. Um, they, they made an entire generation think that if you're Muslim and you come from the Middle East, you must be an evil person, therefore it's okay for young people to go and kill them because you're the bad guy. I mean, good fucking luck. If we, start, if we end up going to war with Russia... Half of the country, half of the soldiers I speak to are like, no, no, I've got a lot of Russian mates. They're good people. We're not going to go there with an emotional drive to kill them because we don't believe they're evil. But I think so so that's that's part of it. I think without the evil element, I don't think there's there's homicidality in most any of the guys that I, I went through the military with. Um, but I think what, what does happen, like with anything, you're exposed to something for enough over time, you become numb to it. And we became very, very okay with death. Uh, so therefore, we either saw it, um, executed it, or or it was around us, and we, we were very well versed on on people dying. That becomes a normal part of life, and like this is where it crosses over to what you were talking about before. Like the majority of the world still understand that death and violence are a part of life. The Western world's in this bubble where we we don't have um, a, a rite of passage around death, and we don't expose ourselves to it, and we we just kind of. Don't look at it. You don't go to many open casket funerals anymore. People are like, I'm sad because someone died and I'm sad for me because I don't get that, have the fun experience with that person anymore, um, but they're gone. I don't want to know what happens. I don't I don't want to think about them being buried or whatever. Like, we just don't want to go near it. But then you've got soldiers, cops, and, and people exposed to this stuff and, and kind of used to it, numb to it. Like, no, nah, that's a part of life. If And then when you get, if you do get depressed into a point where you're like, I don't really know where to go, death is a very viable option because mm-hmm. you're okay with it. 
Um, whereas I think a lot of other people, they don't even want to think about it. And it's like if they do get angry, frustrated, have adult tantrums and they don't know what to do with their energy or if they get really badly hurt um, and they need to hurt other people as a response to it, they push that externally. They don't want to bring it internally because they're not if, if they're not ready, they're not not comfortable with death. So I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's all complex. I don't I, – I, th- I think the biggest one, like to, to touch on rites of passage quickly, like I think that is the biggest piece. It's like – You've got a group of people with a set demographic at a, at a young age. Um, we have this great rite of passage. I don't know what the cops are like, but in the military, that is the first kind of coming of age rite of passage that we go through as young men. It's like I'm looking for acceptance. I'm looking for my tribe. Um, and then you go through basic training, new identity, new values, new you. Here you go. We've issued it. We've trained you. We've tested you. You walk out of there. You're a new person. That is very attractive. And then we don't have like the ancient rites of passage through death, through marriage, through through becoming an elder, which I think is the biggest one that, that needs to be focused on. Leaving the military, there needs to be some kind of rite of passage to go. We're training you to be, operate in this world that you don't really understand again. It's the Western world and you're going to go back into it. No one really gives a fuck about your military history and you need to rebuild values and, and become a new person. And then if you're actually retiring, like we need to build some kind of rite of passage around becoming an elder into society going, this is the, this is the, you're leaving the military, you're leaving the cops. This is the kind of tribe that you're going into. You're going into the veteran space now. You're not a soldier anymore. Your new identity, if you want veteran to be a part of it, that's cool. Um, but if you want to be successful, you need to start aiming for some shit that's up here and become an, a leader, an elder for the tribe of, of, of veterans. And I think that rite of passage out, we've got an amazing rite of passage to come in to uniform for, for almost any uniform you wear. There's none when you leave. You just stop working. You hang your uniform up, you grow long hair, you wear fucking tie-dye shirts, and you're like, I don't, I don't really know who I am. And so I don't know how where I fit in society. And and that I think, as opposed to a theory, and I'm open to any theory, but that that theory, I was like, well, I, I do see some holes in it going, oh, just because we're okay, we go overseas, you come become homicidal, and that's why people want to kill themselves. I'm not convinced there's enough to that. I think more there is a big piece that we just need to shift people. When you leave, we need to go, right, you need to rebuild. You need to understand who you are. Well, it's it's all of that. Yeah. I think what you're saying, 100%, like, that's, I couldn't agree more with that. And what you said, makes, I think it's a mix of both. And there's something in there you said that I love, that at 52, I'm an elder for most guys. But how many people would say that openly, right? And I look, I was with a – um. Uh, a guy I know, you know, I don't want to identify anyone, obviously, but a 15-year-old kid who's a, a son of a, uh, a guy I know. And I caught up with him the other day. And great kid, awesome young bloke. And I'm talking to him and I said, mate, I said, I reckon you might have a bit of ADHD. And he's like, oh, I don't know. And it's not, you know, I don't think everyone does, but I'm talking to this kid. There was a whole lot of stuff and who he was as a teenager, I was the same, felt different, felt like an outsider, bit of anxiety. And, and anyway, I gave him this, there's an online test, there's six questions. He got five out of six. And I said, mate, that's 100%. What's going on? And this is why it's this, it's that, it's that. And then I said to – and I said, so what's that mean for you? And we talked about different things. And this kid was just so connected. Now, I'd never met him before. And I'm saying to him, I said, listen, buddy. I said, I love you, mate. I really care about you. I said, you, you know, I know your dad. He's a good dude. I said, but this is you and I, mate. I said, I know it sounds weird. I said, I know I sound like I'm trying to groom you. And he just laughed like he goes, yeah, it does sound weird. I said, it sounds fucking weird, mate. And I said, but my job as a 52-year-old guy is to make sure you – grow up to be a great young man. I said, that's my fucking job. I said, I'm not your uncle. I'm not your dad. I'm not related to you. I said, but mate, the more people I can help, that's what we should all be doing. And the advantage, like it's almost 10 years next week that I split up with my daughter's mum, now seven and four. And then 
until so it was 2012 until 2018 I was seeing them five nights or four nights and since then I've seen them not much at all last two years I've seen them for six or eight hours a year so the advantage for me in that and it's been heartbreaking don't get me wrong fuck it's been I'm actually really grateful for it now because it's been the best learning I've ever had like gun in my head leaving the cops then this two best things that have ever happened to me in my life because I fucking chose it to be because it's had me go right outside my comfort zone because I'm like, I can't have the influence on my daughters. I want to send them videos and texts every day. I was talking to my 17-year-old the other day. She goes, I've never felt like you're not in my life, Dad. I was like, fuck, that's awesome. Like it brought tears to my eyes. But it's pushed me to have that influence outside my family because I didn't have it inside. And my old man wasn't around much when I was growing up, so I had some stuff around that. And I look at, I've got all of these people, a couple of girls in their early 30s and their husbands like sons and daughters to me. I collect all these people that are younger than me and it's weird as fuck. If you looked at it on paper, I look like I'm starting a fucking cult or something like it's really <laughs> weird, right? But I go, I see I can have impact on these people because I've had 50 years on the planet to fuck things up. I don't think I'm, I'm good at much, but I'm good at reading people and helping guide them a bit. And I think that's what we should all be doing inside and outside the police and military and fucking everywhere, men especially, especially middle-aged white men like me who are the source of a lot of issues. We can also be the answer to a lot. And then when you bring it back down to what you're saying about the military, I agree. Not only as a tribal elder, like for me, but you've got, in a tribal sense, that anthropological sense, who are the people that led the culture in those tribes were warriors. They were the guys who were going out fighting, the young guys. But we bring ours back from war or out of the cops and then forget about them or try to push them back into this putrid beta male identity. And to me, when I talk about alpha male, I go, an alpha male is a loving, caring, connected person who will cut your throat if they have to, but they're loving first, right? Mm. I go, well, I'm a super loving, connected guy, but I'm also, if I need to be violent, I will be because that's, again, my job. I'm not going to walk past a young woman in the street who some guy's, you know, given a hard time to. That's just not who I am, and you guys wouldn't do this, do it either. But we don't encourage that. We don't encourage men, uh, particularly men, but alpha personalities in general, but we don't encourage young men to be strong. We encourage them to be soft, and the old thing is evil prevails when good men do nothing. So I look now, I'm an ambassador now doing some work with the Hannah Clark Foundation, who's the small steps. So Hannah was the woman who got torched in a car with the oh, three yeah. kids in Brisbane, right? What was that? She got murdered two years ago in a car. There was her and her three kids. The husband um, set the car alight, killed him in Brizzy two years ago. All four of them. It's horrific. Was, why was it we're just a jealous? DV. DV, yeah. DV. Huge individual. It happened in the street I used to live in where our family home was. So long story short, I got tied up in it. So it's probably the biggest DV homicide case in in the country ever, I'd say. So I'm going to do a thing for International um, Men's Day with Gary Jubilant, who you guys know, yeah. right? And Jubes and I are pretty good friends. I love him, great guy. And I rang him. I said, mate, this thing's on. I've had a theory for years that men should be talking about DV, for instance, because I go, men who hit women are misogynists and have no respect for women. So you need men like us to stand up and go, that's just not fucking okay. And if you hurt women, well, I'm coming for you. So it's taken me three years to crack that because people, are, all these people in those DV organisations have been like, oh, no, that's that's not our message because they haven't a guy that looks like me, speaks like me, talking about it. It's like the corporate thing they're scared of. Mate, they want, they want soft, cuddly, um, non-threatening males. And it's like they, they, I don't think they've clicked yet to go, that is the problem. The world's got too many soft, cuddly, non, not men who have, have no capacity to, to, to commit to violence. violence. Yeah. Um, 
And that's what Jordan Peterson rants on a little bit. And he goes, the, the, the safest society we could have is if every man was extremely capable of, of extreme violence, but also had the capacity to control it and never use it unless it was necessary. And I'm like, he's 100% right. And that, again, ties into what we're talking about. We, 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 you go, you get trained to do this stuff, and then they're like, yeah, but don't, you, you are the, the, the tip of the spear or the, the warriors of your society, but don't let anyone else in the society see it because they don't want it. They want to pretend there is violence doesn't exist and the world's a safe place and, and we can get Botox in our fucking face and Uber Eats and sit at home and be cool and watch TV and that's all we've got to worry about. It's like, no, 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 there's a real world out there. And it's, is Botox bad? I'll stop if well, I didn't know it was a bad thing. That's your secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and this is the thing. If you look at um, bullies in school, young yeah. bullies, there are kids who are, are generally, like, and I'm not saying – the average, you know, council housing, because I, I was grew up in council housing and stuff. So generally predispositions, lower socioeconomic group to violence and being a bit of a bit of a scumbag, right? But you see my nephew's going through this stuff in school. The bullies are generally the ones that and I'm gonna draw this to a a softer type personality. If they are being bullies, they are either being there's a, a violence at home or something from home. Or it's an outlet for them because they are being picked on by someone and they're it's going downhill. What you do is you grab these young kids, you teach them to fight, and you say you don't use it. When they know that they can do it, the bullying almost instantly stops. Mm. They stop bullying downhill because they, they feel confident and comfortable in themselves. And I think if we were to push this out, you see domestic violence stuff. You I don't know you probably tell them I'm talking shit. You see some DV stuff that's not alcohol related if it's like that abuse to their wife they're just going home they're projecting their bullshit onto someone who's weaker than them yep and and i think once you stop that and you teach them educate them or 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 value that person by saying no you can be a violent masculine person but that's not how we do it with women and and absolutely and i i think very simply right and i'm and i sound like such an old man my dad used to say this that I go, the problem we've got now societal, I don't think it's generational. I think it's societal. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a particular generation that's softer. I just think, I look at my pop um, died probably 20 years ago in, in his late 80s. So he was born in the 1910s, say, or something, somewhere in there. Grew up through the Depression, went to World War II for five years in Papua New Guinea, came back an alcoholic, obviously battling PTSD or whatever, but wasn't diagnosed. Drove a bus, they battled for money. My nana was was this is my dad's family. My nana was raised in an orphanage from the age of three, good Irish Catholic, like born out of wedlock, abandoned to the convent. Then they had 11 kids and fostered four. So is that what they do? In the, is that where the all the orphanage goes? Like out of wedlock, can't have it. 100%. That's what a lot of it was back then. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was such it was such a shame to be born outside of, like because sex outside of marriage was frowned upon. So if you have a kid, obviously that's a, the result of sex. So therefore, the kids shunt. Like, and it's so weird. You go, it's not that it, we're not that far down the road in history where that response is beautiful, mate. Where you're like, what is that? How it happens? We're like, we don't even realize that's so recent in our history. So that stuff's changed, which is awesome. But we've lost with that a lot of decent values because we're soft. Because I, I look at his generation, my pop or my dad. So my dad was nine working on a horse and cart, born in 1946, delivering bread to make money for his family. Now for me, like I never had anything tough in the sense of we always had food, you know, we didn't have heaps of cash, but we had 
money enough. Like money was a stress, but I think that's more a belief system, the Irish Catholic belief you've got to be fucking miserable. A whole lot of other stuff that went on. I look at me and I'm like, thank God I went to the cops because if I didn't join the police at 19, get yelled at, get bastardised, and I, I didn't enjoy it at the time, but I was like, this is this, it's it's that anointing, being anointed in this tribe. Like if you're not tough enough, you don't make it. And I wasn't tough at all. But I just was like, I'm so desperate to belong to something and this thing is it. And I always say, and I'm interested if you boys agree, a great cop or a great soldier is one decision off being a great sergeant at arms for the banditos. Like we're all the same personality. Same, same, same personalities. I just made one different choice. And I go, that's a good thing. And I went 15 years when I left the police in a circle away from that identity and that personality where, of who I was because I thought the cops was a problem. I thought that was the problem. Now I'm like, I've come all the way back to it in the last, probably only in the last two or three years really strongly where I'm very comfortable identifying myself as that warrior personality. As, and as soon as I say it, there's a voice in my head that goes, shut up, fuck with, people will think you're an idiot. But I go, I'm so comfortable in that now. Now if people don't like it, that's okay. Because I also realise that there's probably, you know, 5% at most of those personalities in, in society. So most people aren't going to get me or understand me, and that's okay. I'm very polite and loving and caring, and whenever I see, if I'm at a coffee shop, I'm like, oh, thanks so much. How's your day? Like, I'm really nice. But then I'm willing, if I need to, to be violent. But even the fact that I carry myself with that confidence, as you boys do, I never end up in any violence. And young men don't have those examples anymore. Where I looked up to my old man, even my pop, I looked at other guys when I was in the cops or just other people like school teachers, you know, when I'd get belted at school. And I look back now and go, we've gone too far where there's no there's no threat of any consequence for young men. And that's dangerous because I go, it's like we're animals. Mate, I, I walk down, uh, whether it's with the missus or with the boys, like we're out and, and you see people behaving in certain ways. I'm like, that dude has never been punched in the face. 100%. He doesn't understand that getting punched in the face is one of the things that can happen in this life. And it's just for, I mean, mo well, millennials, apparently we are millennials too, but for the younger generation, they just haven't had that because society's really, really soft. But I love what you said, like it, it's it's not generational, it is societal. No. I, I look at men as like, Pigs, not not in the way that people will be thinking, but like you get a domesticated pig, um, and it's going to say pink, it's going to say fat, it's going to say soft and cuddly. You let it in the wild; it's a matter of months, and it's growing tusks, growing long hair, and becomes a feral pig again. I'm like, we we can take, and I've seen it with young when I was doing reserve stuff. I had these young diggers coming through, and I was really prepared for soft, cuddly. Don't even swear at them because you'll probably get a, a charge by the army. And these young kids, within a within a week or two, like out bush with them, they were ferocious kind of hard soldiers. I'm like, it's it's not generational. There is capacity there. They just haven't had like we we're talking about before. They haven't had a rite of passage to go. How do I become a man? What are my values? Like chivalry, don't get trained that anymore. Um, Honor and respect. Them. Like you, you finally get them through that. You give them some hardness that they've got to navigate and then harden themselves up. And they become wild boars or wild pigs and they can they can attack anything. Absolutely, mate. I've got my daughter had a formal recently and um I did get to meet a formal partner this so his uh, kid's name was oh, I think it was Matthew. I can't remember. I think it was Matthew. I said, Oh have you got a partner baby? Yep, that's awesome. What's his name? Matthew. I go, what's his last name? Silence. And I go, how am I going to check him out if you don't give me his last name? How will I know where he lives? And like so she <laughs> sends back she knows I'm joking. Ha ha ha. So I, and I've always said to the both my girls, ring me at three in the morning, don't care what you've done, I'll never be angry, you're going to make mistakes, like you'll be fine. 
So I sent her a photo. There's a photo of me and two other mates of mine um, at the gun range two months ago. First time I went near the range in 20 years. They're both ex-tactical cops, both pretty hard dudes, both did the private security thing in Iraq and you know, have, have been to the Middle East to train SF forces. So they're hard dudes. So they look like me. They both got the full arm sleeve tats, beards, you know, the standard sort of um, look. One's about my, like I'm six foot three and about 100 kilos. One of them's my size. The other guy's probably six, five and 110 or 15. So the, he's a monster. So the three of us are sitting with baseball caps. It's, 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 you couldn't pick the photo better from the side. And when you look at us, it looks like three old, you know, redneck homeboys from fucking Texas somewhere, you know. And I sent her that photo. I said, hey, beautiful, give this, show this to your formal partner. Tell him whatever he does to you, the three of us are going to do to him, <laughs> right? And she sends back, ha ha, oh, dad, that's awesome. I'll show him. And I go, even that sort of, like, she knows I'm joking. But she's going to schoolies at the end of the year on the Gold Coast. And I said, listen, I said, you know that guy in the photo? She goes, yeah. I said, he's a bit of a bad motherfucker. I said, he's a great dude. I said, but he's done some shit. She goes, yeah, he looks scary, dad. I said, he lives on the Gold Coast. I said, so if you get in trouble, ring me. I said, he'll be there in 10 minutes with a baseball bat. People are going to fucking hospital. And she goes, oh, that's awesome, and laughs. Because she knows I'm joking, but she also knows there's a little bit of truth where he wouldn't turn up and put people in hospital. But she knows that there's people behind her that I know that will do anything to protect her. So that will give her a level of confidence in her life where she won't turn up as a victim. Because I guarantee you boys like me, when you walk down the street, you're not looking at your feet. You're looking in the eyes of people coming towards you. It's a natural animal instinct. Look at most women, they're looking at their feet. Most soft men, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but most men, the way society creates them, look at their feet. The only ones that are looking in people's eyes are people who have done what we've done or shitbags, people who are violent, because they're looking for their next victim. They're looking for prey, yeah. 100%. They're looking for prey. And I go, it's the sheepdog analogy is what you're talking about before. People don't like to acknowledge that we need violent people in our society. The guy's Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman who came Grossman. up with Yeah. So the sheepdog. And as he says, so these wolves are the, you know, are the, the cretins in society, the people who are violent. Then there's the sheep who's the greatest majority of the public and sheepdogs. And they, the dog, sheepdogs look like sheep. It's the old um, Roadrunner cartoon, you know, that, that uh, no, not anyway, whatever it is, I can't remember. So when you have the sheepdog in society, reminds the sheep that there's wolves, that's why they don't like them. And now I don't think we'll ever change that mentality. But men and women who have the personality we have, and I've met some badass women. There's a, a dog handler I met who's um, in Victoria, female, savage, like fucking awesome, awesome woman and just a savage. And I've met plenty of those in the cops and, and military, right? So you go, if we don't allow those people to be who they are and create those, those tribes and those groups to identify with, then we're losing all these young men and women coming out of these organisations. And that's why statistically, and you guys would know this stat for sure, in the military you're 25% less likely than societal average to suicide. You leave, you're 25% more likely. So there's a 50% increase in your chance of suicidality and you end up 25% more likely than societal averages once you leave that tribe. Cops are the same, they just can't track cops because there's, there's no organisations. So I think it's a simple thing when you come back to, you know, PTSD, depression, all of those things. He's going, yeah, of course there's going to be an impact. But I say to soldiers all the time, I'm at the Soldier Recovery Centre in Brizzy 12 times a year, and I say to them, how many of you got dragged out of your house at gunpoint to join the military? And they go, none. And I go, that's right. So it's your fault that you're injured. 
because it was a probable consequence of joining an organization whose purpose is to fight wars that you might get injured. It might be mental or emotional instead of physical. Too bad. And I think we've got to be putting that back onto people's sense of responsibility. Absolutely. We, we've lost, especially in Singleton, right at, towards the end uh, of my career, went down as a seco and then um, did a couple more years back at one hour. And you go down there and you're trying to inculcate these kids um, with a sense of duty and honor and toughness. And they're like, what, what am I going to wear at field? You're like, you wear what the queen gave you, mate. Like, you know, and, and, and trying to get them to understand that you are joining a job where there is a very, you're putting your body on the line. As silly as it is, you could come up with injuries and, and these things. And that is your sacrifice. And having to actually put that into verbiage for people so that they understand, but we have removed so much uh, of that from even they, – they were waiting to be punished. These guys wanted to be punished and they're sitting there and they're like, what the, – the, the first brief you get when you get off the bus is from the duty corporal. The second brief they get is from the padre on day two. And the padre's like, they can't yell at you. They can't do this. They can't do that. Um, and this is the safe call number, you know. And or I think it's the CO and RSM has the arm with them and then the padre goes straight in. And that is – and like – exactly that they just don't get that you mate you it's your choice absolutely yeah Have you, do you know tim kennedy in the states yeah oh not personally yeah but, but know yeah. of him yeah so i love him right he's um he is a savage like legit savage he was i heard him on rogan he's he had a new book out recently and he's he went to ukraine so they've got that save our allies um save our allies which is a Charity that they went to Afghanistan. Yeah, pulled, they spun it up when they when they pulled twelve thousand people out of, job out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Right? yeah, epic. So these lunatics, ex, ex SF dudes, all helmets and body armor and M4s, and went into Afghanistan and rescued people. Like just awesome shit. And if any of the three of us had the opportunity to go and do that, you would do it in a heartbeat. I'm sure. Like I would. I was on Absolutely. the phone to a mate of mine when that all blew up. I'm like, how do we get over that? Now and again, I spent more time in the corporate world than I did the police. But it's that same mentality. He was talking about in, being in Ukraine. He'd just come back from the Ukraine when he landed in Austin, Texas, where him and Joe Rogan live. He goes, when I was in the Ukraine, I didn't see any overweight people. He said, because they have been preparing for 20 fucking years for war because they knew Russia was going to invade at some stage. So every man, woman, child has been getting ready for war. He said, I land back in the States and he said, I walk out into the airport and he said, there's all these soft, overweight, and like, if you're overweight, I'm not fat shaming people, but it's a, it's a result of your choices in your life. He goes, I walk in here and everybody's overweight. They're all whinging because their mochaccino is the wrong fucking temperature. They haven't got enough caramel in it. There's some other bullshit. Like, and that's why Western society, biggest impact on humanity at the moment is anxiety and depression, not starvation, not obesity, not fucking cancer. We're sad. And I go, we're sad. Because there hasn't been a big enough threat. I mean, you said before, Max, about you going to war and you get PTS and whatever. You do get post-traumatic stress, but stress is a positive thing. If you want to get bigger muscles, you stress them and break them down. If you want to get better mentally, you've got to put yourself under pressure. Like I'll get in a zero or one degree ice bath at four minutes most days. I haven't done it for about two or three weeks. But for last year, I've been at nearly every day. And every time I go to get in the fucking thing, I don't want to. I make excuses. I took myself out. Oh, it's too cold. Or I've got some pathetic excuse. And that's that voice in my head wanting to keep me safe. But there's nothing else 
in society that threatens my safety. So I get in the ice bath. I've started doing jits. I do you know, a bit of other tra- physical training because I go, I want to try and stay sharp because most guys my age are sacks of shit and they're sad and they're victims because they haven't kept pushing themselves. And the guys and girls that leave our organisations need to find a way to keep that fucking mongrel part of them alive because that's what we don't do well and we don't encourage it. And it comes all the way back to going, how raw you know, can you be on the podcast? And I'm like, every presentation I do to military or police particularly, but um, anywhere, I often walk out and go, it's probably the last time I'll do that. And I'm honestly willing to be the last time every time. And every fucking time I get messages from people going, that was the best thing ever. Thanks for being raw. Thanks for being honest. And I've got a level of insecurity that keeps me humble that I'd never want to change because I think otherwise you just become an egomaniac. But I'm equally, I've had two people say to me recently, one's a Lieutenant Colonel and I know from military, he's a friend of mine, good dude. And one's a, a military guy that was going into the police. They both mentioned my name to, to like senior sergeant, so probably maybe sort of um, lieutenant or captain level um, in the cops. Both of these people they spoke to, I don't know, but they both came back and said, oh, do you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. They happen to be two females, but that's irrelevant. Do you know Mary Smith? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. And the young guy who joined the military out of the, uh, joined the police out of military and this lieutenant colonel both go, oh, I said um, that I know you and I love what you do. And their response, both of these people's response was, yeah, we're not sure how to handle him. He's a bit of a handful. We're not sure how to manage him. And I'm like, well, you don't fucking manage me because I'm not in your organisation for the last 20 years. But when I hear that, my initial response is, fuck, that's bullshit. Then I go, good. Because everyone, if everyone loves you, you're vanilla. I go, there'll oh, be people. No cut through, mate. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have gone back. You'd, you'd do your one speech. You would have done your one speech 10 years ago and they would have been like, yeah, that was great. I can get that. I can literally get that cookie cutter model and have no rela- impact with anyone. I mean, safety and trust, I think it's a recurring theme for, for what you've been talking about for the last 10 minutes. And that's, I think half of these people, like like those chicks who are going, oh, I don't know how to handle him. It's like they're, the content that you're delivering, they probably enjoy it themselves personally, but they're so worried about their own job safety and their own safety if they get in trouble for letting you come in and saying something that someone above them gets angry at and they're getting angry because they're worried about the person above them. And that's that's the, that's where political correctness has come from. People, people going. Oh, someone says I, I might get cancelled, or I might be in threat, or in danger, if I allow this person to speak honestly. What they don't realise is by you speaking honestly, you're gaining the trust of all the people in your audience, and that's. I think that's why it's becoming so successful. Because it's like if you can be real and you can talk the way that humans are supposed to talk, I'm going to have more trust for you. And 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 trust in society at the moment, I, I think, is the cause of half of our problems. We don't trust government. We don't. I, def, I gave a talk the other day on how much I don't trust generals in the army anymore, um, and we just don't. And that, that's that's the, like trust and safety. They're the most primal things that we had. That's why we operate in societies and groups because we our survivability, our safety goes up if we can have a group of people around us that we trust. It's why your daughter in the back of her mind is going, "I have absolute trust that if I am in danger, that dude will come and yep. help me." And, and they feel more secure and that's why we've got I, – I mean, again, just ranting on opinions, but I think we've got two types of males in society. We've got males that have, for some reason, a belief that someone else will protect them and keep them safe and society as a whole will protect them and keep them safe. And there's another group of people who are like, 
I am not putting my personal safety in the hands of anyone unless they are within my tribe and I absolutely trust them because I know them personally. I think that's that's the ownership piece that, that's missing. Some people want to trust. Outsource they, it. Out, well, <laughs> they just, I don't know. I think it's just an illusion of safety that the Western world's created. And um, I don't think they even know it. They don't. That's the worst part, right? I go, and I know policing pretty intimately, and I go, I know what the – it was, again, Tim Kenny, one of those guys I heard in a podcast, and he's like, or Jocko Willink, I can't remember who it was, but he's like, I know the response time in LA to a violent incident on average is seven minutes, so it wouldn't be much different here. I go, if if that long. Like, I know police are massively under, under-resourced. There's a whole lot of shit, right? You and I know what can happen in seven fucking minutes. Like, you could be killed 75 times in seven minutes, right? So I go, you know, I've got this attitude and this belief now that there's no one else coming. And I've always had it, but I haven't actually taken it on board well enough for probably a long time. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a great fighter, but I've been in a lot of fights and a lot of violence. Like I was in a car chase where he got shot at multiple times. I had another guy caught at a car chase and I was pulling him out of his car and he had a sawn off SKS with 30 rounds on the clip, fully auto, ready to go. And the the shoulder strap got caught on the handbrake as he pulled it out, like stuff, a few of those things, right? So, so many instances when I go, I should have been badly injured or killed. Never got a stitch, never broke a bone, never went to hospital. And I just, good luck more than good management. But because when I was in those environments, out of fear, I was willing to be as violent as I could be. And it was fear driven. It was fear involved. I used to think it was fear driven. Now I just think they go in parallel is probably a better way to put it. These days, when I walk down the street, when I'm whatever, like I see little kids, if they look at you, I go, G'day, buddy, how are you, mate? And people look at me weird. Equally, people look at me weird. And I don't have a sense of, I, don't, I think it's hard to have a sense of how you look to other people or present to other people. But my partner and other people go, mate, you're pretty scary looking when you're walking down the street. So I go the other way. And I'll get, good morning, how are you? How are you? Nice to see you. Because I go, I don't want to appear to be violent or, or overbearing but I'm willing to be if I have to be, especially for someone else. And we don't encourage that. So we've got one in a society where there's there's a limit to how hard you should be that's set really low. But the limit to how soft you're allowed to be, there is no limit. So we end up with, again, the only people in society who are strong are the ones that have evil intentions on whatever scale that is. That might just be to break into your house and steal your car or money or whatever because they're struggling or because that's what, you know, they've they've think is the answer or someone who literally wants to kill people for fun. But I look at it now and think all of that runs into this mental health chat. You know, like what sounds like we've been talking about warriors and, and fighting this whole conversation, but it's about that's what mental health is. And what you said right at the start, Sats, when we talk about it, it reminded me of something. If I said to you, Let's talk about physical health and fitness. People go, fuck yeah. Yeah, I want to be fitter and harder and tougher. Yeah, let's talk about mental health and fitness. Everyone goes, oh, fuck, I don't want to talk about that. Because all of us, we think mental health means bad, but it's health. Same as physical. Like it's a positive thing. I go, I'm the healthiest mentally I've ever been, but I'm also the loosest in the sense of outside what normal society does. And those things I talked about, what I like, I read heaps of read heaps of books, I listen to podcasts, I do all the things that most people don't. And I go, the more I do that, the happier I am. I meditate, I journal, 
I do all this weird hippie shit that if you said to me 20 years ago, that was the answer. I was like, fuck off. I'll just drink more rum and start smashing myself on Ekkies and, and Coke. And I go, the more I get back to that, the and it's so cliched, but the closer I can, the, the more I can identify with and train the savage in me, the happier I am. Do you guys find the same thing? Absolutely. And I, 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 there's a strong primal link there. And I, I, I think, well, this is a very unproven theory, but, but males that are, that are, we were about a bee's dick away from being monkeys. Um, it's the triple F theory. It's like feeding, fighting, and fucking. They're, they're the most primal things you can do. And if you're not doing those three things, you, you're in a pickle. And, and everyone's got the food part, right? Because the food's everywhere. It's abundant these days. Um, sex, I mean, you get it when you can. But the fighting part, when, when you, you, actually get aggressive. Jiu-Jitsu, I believe, that is what the big – I mean, I know Rogan's kind of sold it to the world and everyone loves it, but he more just opened people's eyes to go, you can do this thing where you can can scratch that that primal itch and you can actually physically try and strangle your mates out and then you walk away from there an hour later and you feel on top of the world. And I think it is. I think I think understanding where you're, what you're capable of, how you can protect yourself or how what, what level of violence you can commit is absolutely essential to mental health because when, when you, it helps you know who you are. And I think even – I want to be really clear on something for your audience. The violence is at the extreme end. It's being uncomfortable, which is the important part. Violence is just one part of it, right? Because um, I'm just mindful we've talked about that a lot and you don't want people to miss the message. Jiu-Jitsu for me is because I'm uncomfortable. Like it's awesome when – you know I've been doing it six weeks, so I haven't got too many wins – so I get smashed and choked all the time. But every time I finish, I'm like, I'm absolutely shattered. I'm sore. I'm like, this is awesome shit. And it's that that primal wrestling and, and all of that. And I've, for years, like I've wanted to do it for ages and I've just put it off and off and off because I'm like, oh, it'll be weird and my shoulders and man, I just had fucking excuses. And I've got my jujitsu my um, mantra is tap, tap off and tap early. You know, like, so the minute I get close to being submitted, I, I tap and people go, oh, you're right, is your, have you got bad shoulders? I go, they're not that bad. They're not great. I said, but I'm 52. I don't want to get a shoulder recur. I want to keep training. Yeah. So I'll tap early. So it's not about trying to win on the, on the mats for me. Oh, I did CrossFit for years. CrossFit was another thing where I just got to push myself to a place mentally that I don't do if I'm training on my own. And that pain... I enjoyed, even though at the moment I in the moment I hated it, because it's that discomfort. So that stress, physical, mental, emotional, we are so hell bent these days on staying safe, and we're becoming really weak as as human beings. And you think of us as monkeys, right? If if I walk down the street now and I go, if we were actually a primal um, species. A great percentage of people at the moment would die because they just are not physically capable of hunting, like whatever the things are, you know? And, mate, I, I don't think where society's going, I don't think in the next world war is going to be what people think it is if, if it does come about at all. I, I think if the biggest threat to humans at the moment is, is if the power goes out because there are so many people that are so used to the comfort that only exists because we have power grids um, or, or we have a society that, that can kind of invent shit based on electricity. It's like if that goes out, food stops, um, hospitals shut down, air conditioning. I mean, people would lose their mind if they couldn't turn the air conditioner on in summer. I'm like, we are. That, that's how close we are and that's how fragile it is that, that if, if the power goes out, we have an entire generation of people that are fucked. 
What do they reckon? We're three. What's the saying? Through three meals away from anarchy. Three oh, yeah, yeah, right. Never had that. You lose three meals. So, you know, the food riot, yeah. they talk about food riots yep. at where it is. And, but yeah, so three meals from anarchy. And yeah, I, I mean, that's I, probably true too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I love a good conspiracy. Um, but I, I look at COVID, like the way that was almost a deliberate social experiment to see what's going to, what would happen if the power goes out. And, and they, and well, at the same time as, as COVID, there was a, a bit of an actual experiment like that going on in Venezuela. CIA cut the power for a few days and then they got All right. Them. Well, Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> if you felt allegedly, everything's fine. It's, it's okay, yeah. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Um, and they, did, they just sat and watched. And, and surprisingly, the, there was no riots, which was a bit weird. But um, I, I reckon that's what – I mean, that looks like what the start of COVID was. It's like let's let's see what happens when resources get a bit low. Instantly. Let's take toilet instantly, paper away. <laughs> the, 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 the soft, ch- cuddly idiots went – fear drove them mental. Well, it's – I have never been able to see – Nobody's ever been able to explain to me the toilet paper thing, right? Like I've looked like whether it's Rogue and podcast, everything. I've looked and I've actually gone looking for it because there is no answer. Someone somewhere started taking it and it seems it just – then it went into the media and it just snowballed because I go, it, it doesn't make any sense why people would panic about toilet paper. It's not – it wasn't a bowel disease. There was nothing like – it wasn't. there was no impact on on our digestive system from that perspective that would make it worse. So I'm like – it was just panic. It was just because we're monkeys. There was a an experiment done a long time ago where they had a troop of monkeys in a in an enclosure in the states. I think it was the states anyway, and they had a ladder to a um, to bananas, whatever a finger of bananas, whatever it's called. And what they did is say so there was X amount of monkeys in the cage, and any time a monkey went and got on that ladder, they fire hosed the other, all the other monkeys. And they did it over and over. And before long, whenever a monkey would go to the bottom of the ladder, the other monkeys would bash it and stop it going to the top. Then they replaced every monkey in that troop. So no, not a monkey that had ever been hosed or ever been there when anyone was hosed was there. It was all fresh monkeys. Anytime a monkey went to the ladder, they all bashed it. They didn't know why because they'd never experienced it. It was a generational societal programming, right? So that's what we're 98.8% that same DNA. So we get programmed to panic. We get programmed for fear. And I, so I'm on this motorbike ride, right? Yesterday, um, the boys left Wednesday morning from Brisbane and I didn't get back till Wednesday night from Adelaide. So I rode, I left home at 7.30, rode 300 k's to Grafton. And then I got up. So I got there at 10.30, went to bed, wake up at 4, left there at 4.30 to ride to Armadale, which is like 200 k's. It was raining. It was like, it was dark when I left. It was raining. There was heaps of fog. And it was probably five or six degrees. So it was cold, but I'm riding over there and it was pretty, you know, dark and dangerous. And I missed a couple of kangaroos by not much. And I was like using it as a challenge, as wanky as that sounds. In my head, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, cause in my, my fears, like, oh, I should turn around. I can't see. It's scary. I'm like, just keep going. Don't be fucking soft. What's, what's going to happen? I get there and I got there at like, I think quarter to seven in the morning. And most of the boys were just turning up there. They'd stayed there. And there was a handful of my mates and mates of mine who know me who go, oh, fuck, I should have made a bet because I bet the boys you'd be here before seven. And they all said, no way, he'll wait till nine because he'll get up at seven and go on the sunlight, you know, when it's light. And one of the boys, a mate of mine from school, I've known since 14, he goes, I fucking knew you'd be here by seven just to prove a point. I said, yep. <laughs> I rode in the dark because I just wanted to see if I could fucking do it. And he goes, there's something wrong with you. I go, yep. And that's – and he's joking. Well, I think it's just – I think that's a probably a good attitude to have because, like – 
we are evolved to conserve calories and energy. That's the human homeostasis is to not to, as limited. To not do anything. Of, right. And that and we can do that. We've got Netflix and Uber Eats. You can do fucking nothing. And and I think that's why you sit there and you get miserable and depressed and to what a rage against the machine, you know? Well, and i when I look back when I left the cops, battling suicide. Like, so my last shift in the police, a, a bike he stabbed another one 13 times. I caught the guy. It's a long story. Ended up in this massive fight. He kicked out the windows on the police car and I dragged him out in handcuffs. Is that easy to do? Yeah. Kicking out windows on yeah, the police car. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a normal car. Yeah. If you're angry enough, he was pretty fucking, he was angry <laughs> enough to stab someone 13 times. So he's pretty angry, right? <laughs> so he had his handcuffs in front of him by the time I got back to him. And he's a bikey, so he's a pretty violent dude. I drag him out. He tries to bash me with the handcuffs. We end up in this big fight and I choke him unconscious. And we're rolling around in the glass. Um, and I think I'm whispering, but I'm obviously not pretty violent. Tell him I'm going to kill him, and I choke him out. Then I drive. I drop a policewoman back to get another police car. She's scared of me. She goes, I thought you were going to kill him. I said, well, I was, me or him. It's him. She wouldn't talk to me. I go home and um, wake up at four in the morning crying and shaking, having like a nervous breakdown. I didn't know what it was. And then I wake up. It was a Saturday, and I was like, I'm not going to work. And I was struggling at that stage, like massively, obviously. Where I used to go to work on days off, I didn't even really want to go then, put my uniform on, didn't want to go. And I went to the races with all dog handlers and mates of mine from SWAT, sir, the, the special weapons team. Drank till three in the morning, ended up breaking my best mate's nose, lying in the gutter crying, I love you, man, like all that standard sort of shit. When I went back to the doctor on the Monday, on the Saturday, he said to me, I think you've got glandular fever. I was like, oh, cool, that's why I came. I was going to say diarrhea or something, but I go, that sounds fucking heaps better for my medical certificate because it's a weekend penalty rate thing, right? We go back Monday. He wants to hospitalise me. He goes, i got your bloods back. He goes, you are in a really bad way. He goes, I want to hospitalise you. I didn't even know I was sick. Like, I didn't know. I was broken mentally. Well, no, that's not true. That's fucking bullshit. I was struggling mentally. I wasn't broken. But I had the drive to keep pushing because there was a, something worthwhile, which was serving my oath, protecting people. Do, and even though I was massively battling with it, I still did it to the point where I should have been hospitalised. Now, I literally didn't even know I was sick. And I go, then when, so I was obviously so uncomfortable in so many things and the impact of the stress and the violence, it was organisational stress more than the violence, as we all know, that's, you know, the organisation caused a lot of grief. And you, I think it's almost impossible for it not to, you know, then their organisations dealt with either upholding law and order in, in domestically or internationally protecting our country in the military. It's hard to make those soft and cuddly organisations. If we make them too soft and cuddly so everybody's okay, then we'll be speaking a different language in fucking five years. Mm. So I don't think we can do it. So the individual needs to take responsibility. I went away from all the things that got me to that point of damage because I didn't realise there was a whole lot of that that I could have kept and only let go of a little bit of it and I would have been really good. And over years I came back to it just naturally, I guess. I don't even know how to, how to describe it. Where I stopped drinking alcohol. That was only five or six years ago. But... I started eating really clean. I met my partner now who's celiac. So we started eating really clean food. She was a, she's a Kiwi girl. She was on the Com Games, uh, sorry, on the National um, Gymnastics Squad for five or six years. Went to Com Games, Olympic trials. So she ate really well. She slept really well. All the stuff I didn't do. So I meet her and get into these habits. Then all of a sudden I'm like, we're training hard. I met her through CrossFit. We well, you know, I was already a long way down the personal development road by then, but we're talking about that stuff together, that's the people we're hanging out with. And I'm like, fuck, I feel really good because I got back into a life of discomfort 
Whereas in that intervening period of 10 years, I was worried about if I had a $10,000 watch and who had the best suit and if my haircut was pretty enough and fucking going to five-star restaurants and, you know, I'd fly around the country with a job I had in commercial property, going to five-star restaurants with other putrid fuckwits, you know, drinking $200 bottles of wine and it was just woeful. And you know what they all talked about? My police career. Because there's there's an interest in that because it's so outside of norm. But we take these guys and girls that listen to your podcast from that environment and go, and then we send them out to be soft. We're not, we don't have an environment to go, let's do some hard shit. Like put a fucking backpack on with 20 kilos in it, go for a 10K walk on Sunday morning around uh, like Mount Cuthra in Brisbane or fucking whatever. Like do something, do the way you guys here in, in Coogee, like put on a 20 kilo fucking or 10 kilo weight vest and do a 10K walk along the river, uh, along the ocean. Like it doesn't have to be SAS Australia shit, right? But I think that's the key to mental health, but we're not talking about that. We go, let's sit people down and make sure they're okay and talk about your feelings. I go, yeah, absolutely do all that. But get back to being a fucking savage and start understanding that that's what makes us happy. And the harder- It's the, it's the contrast as well, isn't absolutely. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because otherwise you're vanilla. And yeah. that's my thing. I'm like, it's it's- in the most simple format, if you sleep well, you eat well, you train, you meditate, you listen and watch cool shit, you'll be great. Just challenge yourself. And I go, how many people do those four or five things? Like zero, very, very few. And the ones who do are happy because at the end of the day, the mental health chat's about being happy. And when I say to soldiers, cops, whoever, like my, the guy I was talking to this morning, he wants me to work with one of his, his staff he has made, he works too hard. He's a workaholic. He's just not that happy. I said, do you reckon he's suffering a bit of depression? He goes, yeah, I think so. I go, cool. That's really easy to fix. He goes, cool. Like, do you think go to the doctor and get medication? I said, no, I fucking don't think that. I said, I think that's, that's absolutely a solution to a very short-term neurochemical imbalance. So for anyone who's listening who thinks they're depressed, don't ditch your antidepressants. But if you're on them for more than a year or two, I go, that's a Band-Aid. If you got shot in the leg, you wouldn't leave a tourniquet on it for five years. Mm. You know, you need to rehab it. Absolutely. But I go, that's the part where I think we miss. We wrap people in cotton wool, give them medication, go stay inside and don't do anything that triggers you. I go, do the fucking opposite. Go and get, the more you open that comfort zone, the bigger it gets, the happier you are. Mm. It's a pretty simple thing. Yeah, the, uh, the, the whole the doctor yarn we were having the other day about, so my old lady's a, a sickly, you know, She's always crook. She's got a thyroid taken out. She, everything wrong with her. She's how, a hypochondriac. She's fucking 63. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Everything's wrong with her. She always will be. She'll find something wrong with her. And she goes to doctor after doctor after doctor. And I'm like, have they fucking fixed you in 20 years? No. So stop going to the fucking doctors mm. and do something. What do you do, mum? Do you sleep? Do you train? Do you eat right? She does none of those things. I'm like, we start there and then we'll go and, and nah. She's, I mean, she's sad. She's like, oh, yeah, no, nah, good story. But we come back to the whole conspiracy theory that starts every four, right? And I'm, I'm not dissimilar, mate. That I go, um, like you look at psychedelics and mushrooms and psilocybin. So I've tried psilocybin and I've never spoken about that publicly. But I go, I tried it because there's so much research. And I was like, fuck, it made a big difference. Now, I don't think people should go and do it off their own bat. But there's so many PTSD veterans, police, blah, 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 that have, you know, there's all this stuff in the States. There's... So many of the people over there that are openly have done it. So I go, that's natural medicine. I go, the alternative is to have a chemical 
replacement for dopamine and serotonin, which actually then shuts down your body producing it. So you're always dependent on it. I go, well, which one's probably more in line with our $5 million, five million year ancestry? I go, if you go back 100,000 years, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I've never done enough research, nor do I understand it, but it's not that long ago in our history where we were walking around barefoot, naked, killing what we hunted, and there was no depression. There was no anxiety. When we go on the blue zones and that, you know, in, in Okinawa, Japan's one, and there's one in Italy, I can't remember where it was, you go back before they had a Western diet, there was no cancer, there was no depression, there was no anything. Like food's a huge part of it, huge part of it. And then I go, if you put unleaded fuel in a diesel truck, it stops. We put the wrong fuel in our bodies fucking 24-7. It doesn't stop. We get fatter, dumber, sadder, and more destructive. So the shit's really simple. And I these days go, how can I, how can I get back to the most primal part, like you said, so it's about the most primal part of me in the way I eat, in the way I move, in the way I think, and then be, then have the evolved emotional intelligence and vulnerability on top of that. But if you're going for the softness first, but you haven't built the foundation of that savagery, then that's why your world falls apart. Like I think you've got to be a violent man and then have it under control to Jordan Peterson. Like I love that. Mm. I live by that. And that, that, that theory is far more ancient. And I, I think it's the Western model where to be a hard person, you have to be emotionally retarded. Absolutely. I don't know. Is that a word you're allowed to say? Of course it is. <laughs> I'm very unpolitically correct. Um, We've done we've well, said much worse. Well, retarded is an actual word. Far. It just means slowing down, right? You are. You're emotionally slower. Absolutely. Um, and and I, I think that's it. Like you, you need to be, to be, it's, it's the, what did we used to talk about? Like the Western versus Eastern model. The, the Eastern model is far more ancient. I think that's where humans came from when we're in tribes. The warriors had high EQ. They, they had to understand, they understood the world. They, it's, it's a very American or a very new kind of Western idea that to go and train to be a hard man, you then must come back into society and be completely switched off and, and not understand how to deal with normal life. I think that's bullshit. But it is in the way that we're training. I think we need to train warriors in gardens and, and those people yeah. need to be able to pull out a samurai sword, cut a head off if they need to, and then go straight back to being a guide or an elder or a mentor. Or just to, be a well-adjusted human being. Yeah, yeah and that's can, possible. It's very yeah, it's possible. It's loving and violent go hand in hand. Like I go, I'm a super loving and emotionally vulnerable. I did talk with a dog squad about a month ago. There was a heap of handlers and their bosses nationally. And there was people in the crowd, one guy that I'd mentored in the coppers, a couple of that I'd worked with, and I'd got to, it was over four days, this, this whole event. So I'd got to know a lot of them really well. So I was doing the same two-hour chat that I did in military and police. Oh, there's different ones, but the one mainly around resilience and mental health. And I got really emotional. I was talking about suicide, and I got really emotional at one stage. Like my voice cracked, I was tears running down my face, and in my head I'm like, fuck, you idiot, what are you doing? But I equally was the hardest I'd ever gone on a group of people, and I used language that I would never usually use, and it's the C word. Like I never would use that normally. It's the only presentation ever, and I dropped it once in there. And there was the bosses from different units around the country and that in this room and I looked and there was a heap of people with like dust in their eyes obviously and the feedback I got out of that was just like like I had guys that I knew walk past me and I feel I'm mostly even talking about it walk past me just nod and look at me couldn't even speak mm. and I got so many messages so many people bro like so I had an anonymous feedback link for them to do there was 40 or 35 or 40 people in the room and I think 31 of them did no no so it was 
there was only, yeah, I think there was 35 in the room and 29 did the survey. It was all like 100% the best thing ever, but it was all really good. One of the comments was, you saved my life today. And I was like, holy fuck. It's pretty powerful. So powerful, right? And I'm like, holy shit. Now, did I, like, I don't know. I have no idea. But I go, because I'm so loving and vulnerable and because I'm also loose as fuck, these people really related to that. Now I go, it's not about trying to be, you're not going to try and be who you're not, right? If I was, this is natural, my personality from the police, like before the cops or whatever, my dad's his personality, it's, there's a, a reasonable amount of genetics in it. But I've also developed this to be just a, a pretty hard dude, but also super loving person. So I'll have conversations with people constantly, like guys that I talk to that I'm hugging. And I go, I love you, brother. I've got your back. I'm here for you. People I've met once. And then equally, I'm pretty loose and sarcastic and joke, you know, and, and be stupid. But it's both sides of that coin. And the problem is we're all trying to be the same. Like we're all trying to be just this fucking cookie cutter model of each other that's, you know, not offensive or whatever. I go, like, let's start offending each other again with our ideas. Because if we all fucking agree on the same thing, we're never going to evolve. As a species, we're just getting worse. You know, if you go back into ancient times, we're loving the anthropology, you know, vein. If, if you went back into a tribal society and nobody ever challenged new ideas, we wouldn't have fire, wheels, fucking anything, right? Like we probably would have died. So you go, it's that thing for us to go, we need to evolve. We've got amazing technology, but it's making us soft. Mm. When I look at my Instagram feed, someone said to me over this trip, oh, I don't know if you saw on my Instagram, blah, blah. I go, nah. I go, I don't follow people. I said, with all respect, I don't give a fuck what your breakfast looks like. Like, <laughs> you know, eat it. And as another, I say all the time, I go, if you've ever put hashtag blessed on your Instagram photo, you fucking hate your life. So it's, you know, it's that whole thing of pretending to be someone you're not. But my feed is full of personal development, jujitsu now, canines, fucking dude shooting, four-wheel drives, like stuff that I love because I'm not interested in people's um, – manufactured and carefully put together version of themselves. A few years ago, I was in Brisbane at Kangaroo Point Cliffs that looks over the city and the river. And this, I use this example often. There was a young woman and a young guy, probably 19 or 20, obviously in a relationship, I presume. They're standing and they had their arms around each other and they're both smiling and he takes it like their head's cocked and it's that whole Instagram. And he takes the photo, they look at it, she's got the shits and they, t they did it about nine fucking times to get this just um, to capture the moment of how happy we are, but it was so orchestrated. And I'm looking at him going, that is so sad mm. because those, those two kids at 19 are already in the mindset of going, it's more important that we look like we're happy for some future individual on Instagram than we are. So the tension between them, you could see it. And it wasn't just her, it was both of them. Like they're arguing with each other. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And whether whether they like it or not, that that is for everyone else except themselves. Because it it's, it's how your brain works. In in five years' time, if you ever bother to go back and look through your own photos, your brain's not going to remember the fake happy moments. It's going to remember how it took 15 goes and you had 12 fights in public. That's what the human brain's going to remember, like the negative of it. So it's only for other people. And they're bullshitting they've, themselves. They've got an app. Uh, they've got a new one come out, new social media one, and it's it's. Uh, I saw it. Yeah, real or it's like it's one where it takes a photo. Takes a, you got an hour. It sends an alarm on your phone. You got like sixty seconds to take a photo of what you're doing right then. No filters, no nothing. Oh, Does, cool. Doesn't it go like front camera, back camera? Yeah. Like you get one of each one. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty. I heard about that, and I was like, well, that could be a good concept. But then, within five minutes, one of the big ones started 
doing it themselves. So the poor bloke who invented that app. Gone. Fucked. Yeah. And it's and and I think for the bottom line of everything for people that I want to try and get across with you guys, right? And like as we spoke on the phone, mate, I'm so happy to do anything I can to help you guys with Swiss Eight. I think it's fucking awesome what you're doing in the veteran community and the community more broadly. And what I love about what you guys do is it's educational. Like it's I've written a book um, about my story and it's not a I was surrounded by t- 12 people and I had a paper clip and I fought my way out and I'm a fucking superstar. Like it's not one of those books. It's a I did some pretty cool shit but I was fucking terrified the whole time and I didn't realise that was normal and I fucked my life up and it took me 20 years to get it back together, right? Pretty much is it. And it's raw because I talk in there about all sorts of the demons. Like I was a teenager, I struggled with depression and different things, I'm sure now looking back, but that was all because, and I love my dad, he's a great dude, and I told you his background. So I go, he wasn't around because he thought working hard was was going to provide us with money, so that was the best thing because that's what he didn't have. And I want to put it out there to go, if people can read it, all my podcasts, all whatever, and I've got two other books that I've written that I'm going to publish shortly, and one's about how to be a good man, and the other one's a police and military-specific mental health book. And there's a guy called Dylan Conway. I don't know if you're from yeah, Brothers yeah. and Books, right? Awesome dude. I met him recently. Fucking cracker guy. So he's going to help me publish. I've self-published my first one, publish all three, you know, properly, whatever that means. Because what I'm trying to do is be raw and honest and go, I fucked this up. I fucked that up. That didn't work. Because telling people cool stories, like I can sit here and run you, as you boys can, you know, you've been in plenty of fucking shit in your life and your careers. I can run through a million cool fucking shoot em up stories, right? Well, one shoot 'em up story, I should say, but heaps of violent stories. But that doesn't help anyone. More, I want people to understand. Yeah, people just switch off, don't they? Like after the first story, well, they don't relate go- to it's it. It's just yeah. gore porn, mate, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, fuck, I was hard as nails, and then there was 11 guys, and I killed them with a fucking soup spoon. You go, great story. Like, who gives a shit? It's inspirational. It's motivational. But motivation is fleeting. And um, I had this um, another message from that Adelaide presentation I did and this guy sent me a message on Instagram. He goes, hey, bro, that was fucking awesome. Loved it. Best thing I've ever seen. Thank you. I thought it'd be shit. It was great. He goes, you're the best motivational speaker I've ever seen. I said, hey, mate, really appreciate your message. Call me a motivational speaker again. I will fucking check you out. <laughs> and I said, that's not what I'm doing. I said, all I'm trying to do is give an example that you can live, you can make shit mistakes and then you can be happy as fuck. I said, that's all I'm trying to do because I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't, like I have... Like I have slides that that I keep me roughly on track, but it's all gut feel. Like it's I come in here, I haven't thought about what I'm going to say until I sit down here, and we had no plan, which is sorry, I'm going to spin it now, which is awesome, because I go, it's just about being authentic and being fucking real, and I just don't think people do that, and I certainly don't think guys my age do that, and the problem therefore is there's a whole vacuum of fucking information that people aren't talking about their experiences, and especially at my age or at seventy years of age or my goal is to be as fit and healthy as I am now at 70. So I even have more credibility in what I say. And I'll probably look back at me at 52 and go, oh, fuck, I thought I had together then. And I had no idea. Because we should always just be trying to evolve and push forward. Absolutely. But the more of these conversations we have, it is literally, you know, we're on that tribal kick today. So it's like, this is what men and women did was sat around fires and talked about shit. That was, that's all there was to do. These days we're on our phones. I was at dinner with five guys last night. At one stage I looked around and six of us were sitting on our fucking phone. I was like, well, this is a great chat, boys. Mm. And we all looked and were like, oh, Jesus, because it's just so, it's habitual. The minute you sit at a cafe, like, ask your listeners, but I'll ask you boys, could you sit 
in this room and look at that blank wall for 30 minutes with no distraction? Not, not unless I was forcing myself to, yeah. Yeah, but if you forced yourself to, you reckon you could? Yeah. Yeah. I think you too, You could too. Yeah. I reckon most people couldn't. You guys could because it would just be a mental, if I challenge you, you go, I'll yeah. fucking win that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. absolutely. So, so, but if you were sitting in the room on your own for 30 minutes, how long till you picked your phone up, you reckon? Yeah, I'd oh, be subconsciously instant, yeah. yeah. And that's the stuff that we just need to be a lot more focused on is going, how do I challenge myself in every way? Because challenge is good, discomfort's good, stress is good because it builds resilience. If you want your biceps to be bigger, you stress them by doing bicep curls. Mentally and emotionally, we're exactly the same. And I think that's the message that we should be getting out to young men and women, military, police or other, to go, just be fucking uncomfortable. You said about turn the aircon off, you know, like it's it's trying to do things that will literally make you uncomfortable instead of going, well, how can I stay the most comfortable I am? Because that is killing us. Mm. Comfort's a slow death. It's, it's one of the, um, oh, I think it, one of the one of the ex military fitness. Yeah, no, yeah, I can't remember they, they who did it. Yeah, it's a fucking cracker. And it is. It's a hundred percent. It is. The more comfortable you get, and you just dying slower. So where's that? I mean, dead right. This is the first time we we usually do a fairly. Uh, so I'm I'm trying to improve the flow. So the little one percenters that I can improve in my life. Yeah. And I was trying to improve the flow of the podcast and 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 the converse have a conversation as opposed to they used to sound very question answer. And it used to take me a while to, to really work around how I'm trying to ask the question. And I was like, nah, fuck it. Let's just have a conversation. So I did a, a brief research with you just so I sure. know. So I didn't stand on my foot and be like, hey, man, so you're a fiery for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, 100%. And you're like, yeah. no. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's the end of that conversation. And it's brilliant. And I know this has taken us down a mental health path, but that's where we're both so invested and emotionally driven to go down. And, and it's been – it's probably one of the longest podcasts we've we've done now. Um, Jesus. Mate, what a conversation. Brilliant. So uh, before we wrap it up, I don't want to hold you up too much longer. Where are you going and what have you got coming up? Sure. And where can people find more about you? Sure. Mate, um, the, the very weird answer, the first thing that pops in my head, I'm going as far as I fucking can to help as many people as I can. Like, that's it. I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care how that looks. Like, going to the States, doing that. I'm doing a three-week road show with Tom from Origin Canines, funny dude. He uh, he texts me and goes, let's go to the States. I was like, he goes, let's go to SHOT Show. I was like, fuck yeah. I go and see Rach, my partner. I go, I'm going to go to SHOT Show. She goes, great idea, babe. That'll be awesome. That's how I'm living my life. What I'm trying to do is just impact as many people as I can, as cliched as it sounds, to not get to the bottom of the pit with the gun at their head like I did. Because I go, if I had some guy my age when I was 25 who – it didn't even need to be an ex-cop or whatever, but someone I looked at and went, that motherfucker has got some shit going on. He's a hard dude. He's, you know, he's healthy, he's fit, he's all those things that most older guys just aren't. In my head, going with Tom who's 32, I'm 52, I feel like I'm going and hanging out with my mate. And he's my mate, but I feel like he's my contemporary. I see you with you boys and go, oh, we're roughly the same age. Because the weird thing is you get older, you don't feel any fucking yeah. older, right? But for me... Makes it simple. Like people can find me, The Strong Life Project, on Insta, LinkedIn, Facebook. My podcast is The Strong Life Project. My book is My Dark Companion. Um, if you go to thestronglifeproject.com, everything's there, right? For me, where I want to go, mate, is I actually want to constantly be looking at myself in my life and looking back and going, holy shit, look at where you are now compared to where you were. And there's two things. Remind me of David Goggins if I forget. There's something he says that I fucking love. 
But what I really want to be able to do is, as silly as this sounds, I've thought about this at length and we do this exercise with you boys if, if you're happy to. No, you don't have a choice. <laughs> when you are 100 years of age and people are at your funeral, describe to me what it looks like. So, oh, I hope it's a fucking oh, it's a funeral. The, a party would be good, but um, yeah, a lot of people. Would a lot be of good. people would be. That's, I mean, that's that's, so a, how many, that's a judge of a how good life. How many is a lot? I don't know. If I was going to visualise it, wherever it's going to be, it'd be good to see the, the doors open and and people flowing out the side. Like how many? So that how is? many? Over a hundred at least. Couple of hundred would be cool. nice. Yeah, Max. How many? Yeah, something like that. And what uh, what's the vibe? Uh, I want it to be happy, mate. Like not you know you can't emotion. Do you know what I mean? Like. The wakes of old, but I don't know. Yeah, don't want them to be sort of happy. I suppose. What's so your- I mean, I've I've been to a couple recently, and, and when I when I have done this and pulled the ideas out, I'm like fuck, that's what I that's what a judge of a good life. This is how I want to see my funeral. Fuck load of people. I want people in there to be like sad in the fact that they're like, hey, that dude impacted my life, um, but also happy going through like a, a sizzle reel of life. If you want, going he fucking lived, but. I mean, that's that's the kind of vibe that I want to get at mine. That'd be good. 100%. So I'll tell you how mine looks, and I've done this a lot, right? So the best example of it is that I want it to be like the Queens. Like I want there to be fucking thousands of people there. I want it to be live streamed around the fucking world, and I want everyone there to be going, he was just a fucking good dude, and I'm really happy he made me – like there, there will be emotion, but I want him to be like, that motherfucker squeezed everything out of his life, and it inspired me to do shit. And when I first said that, I was so challenged. Now I say it openly because I go, if I have, if there's that many people, then I've had a fucking impact on the planet that I could never dream of now, right? If I died now, I reckon there might be a thousand or maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I'm fucking guessing. So my dad's really, really well known to police. who was highly decorated for bravery. And I've thought about his funeral a lot because I'll end up giving his eulogy, no doubt, and it will be fucking packed. Now he's 77. Depends on if he outlives most of his peers, Right. But there would be at least a couple of thousand people at my dad's funeral tomorrow. It would be fucking epic. And I've gone, I want it to be a hundred times that. Not for ego, but because of impact and because of the sort of life I lived to get there. So that makes sense? So give me, um, have you got? You both got your phones? Are you happy to do this yeah, exercise? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Write down three adjectives that you would want people to describe you as at your funeral. They're describing words. I know you military blokes aren't great at English. I'm glad yeah, you're going to say, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> say adjective. Does that mean running, jumping? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So three describing words, how you would want people to describe you. you got five seconds left because oh, dead air on a podcast is, is not fucking great. We'll just cut the next 20 minutes out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And um, don't try and be too succinct but, or too particular because I'll help you do it. We'll talk it through because I want your listeners to be able to do exactly this. So if you're listening to this, pause it, put down three adjectives for yourself. Got it? Yeah, I think uh, I think I think that's an adjective. Yeah. Cool. Like, what are your three, Max? Uh, courageous, happy, and wise. Awesome. Yeah, love them. We'll, we'll come back. Suts. Well, I've got no third one. I've just got honest and honor and, and honourable. Okay, so pick a third one. Three. What's a, what's a word? Two. For fucking wanting to 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 explore. Impactful. There we go. I yes, English is not my strong suit. No, no, mate, I've done this 700 times, right? So um, open your phones because I'll change the word slightly for you and I'll tell you why. So what are your three, Max? Uh, courageous, happy and wise. Cool. So courageous, I love. Epic. What's happy mean? What does happy give the people around you, from you? Uh, 
I think it just makes them feel better. Like you, you emulate that sort of warmth and so that's loving. Oh, he's good. So change happy to loving. So courageous loving. Mate, you should do a career to this. I should. I've created <laughs> should write a book. Should write a book. I've created one about talking about myself. So yeah. and and wise. I like wise, but I think it's a bit soft. What what would wisdom be able to give other people around you? Uh, well, just teach them and give them confidence and and yeah. powerful. Yeah. So courageous, loving, and powerful. Is that is that right? Sure. Yep, yeah. Cool. And your three again, Sats? Well, honest was the first one. Yeah. Phone open. So, what would honest be? Uh, to to me, I I mean, I am brutally honest with most people, and it does cause me some dramas. But I want people to know, like, if I'm going to open my mouth, I'm not trying to fucking upset you. I'm going to shoot straight. And we had a, we had um, impactful as your last impactful one. Impactful is the yeah. That's a, that's. A- so I'd say, honest is actually courageous. It's the same as Max because you need courage to be honest. And then your second one was honor, honorable. Yeah. I mean, for for me, that is just every decision I make in life. I'm like, am I doing it? I mean, I don't even really know the true definition of honor, but for me, it's like, am I doing stuff for other people? Am I doing stuff for a reason Loving. that makes sense? And it doesn't surprise me yours are similar because mine's very similar. Yeah. So read your three outsides. So well, now, courage, loving, and, and impactful. So courageous, loving, and impactful. And what was yours the same? Oh, nearly, yeah. Uh, it was very close. Uh, what was it? We'll just bloody bring it up. Uh, I think it yeah, was- courage, loving, powerful. Yeah, okay, so super close. So then you put the words IMA in front of it and leader after it because then that's the identity of who you are. Mm. Ooh, that's a good little bloody exercise. So read yours out. Max, you go first. God, this is, we're going to fucking choke on my words. Good. I. What are you supposed to do? I am IMA. A courageous, loving, powerful. Leader. 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 Yeah. So now say it like you fucking mean it. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm a courageous, loving, powerful leader. Yeah. I, I'm a courageous, loving, and powerful, uh, impactful leader. Make yeah. you emotional, both of you, right? That's I can strong, see it in your yeah. face. It's fucking it epic. Yeah. And then and that, the second part, sorry, Bella, the second part, what's your purpose in your life? My, well, I, I've been, I do a lot of thinking about this. I mean, identity for the first one, that is a huge part of what I've been trying to figure out in myself at the moment. But, but what is my purpose? Um, right now, and, and I assume it's going to be for the rest of ever, is um, to, to, build, to, to teach people how to not experience pain like I have that is unnecessary. Uh, and so I mean, to help people have wanted, a positive impact. Well, yeah, exactly. To, to, to help people live the, the healthiest, happiest lives they possibly can. I mean, That's I, it. So write that down. To help people live the happiest and healthiest lives they possibly can. What's yours, Max? Mate, well, we—I think we through osmosis, like being around you—you. You, that's I've got it. We've got it stuck on the fridge. We went through some some you know why statements for the company and, yeah. and for everything, and and I think it is. I think it's to get people. Uh, probably. To, I mean, there's some other ones as well. Like get people to live as long as they can, as young like die as, as happy as they can, can. as yeah, happy yeah. as they can. Do you know what I mean? Fuck but, yeah. So yeah, it all comes stop, back stop to yeah. help people and have a positive impact, right? Yeah. That's normally, and it's always personalities like us. I do this with, so it's easy. So I go, my identity is to be a loving, powerful, and courageous leader, and then to help people and have a positive impact. Every fucking decision in my life goes through those two filters. If it doesn't meet one, I don't do it. Getting an eight ball of Coke and getting covered in glitter at the fucking strippers doesn't meet that, so I don't do it, right? Getting up out of bed this morning, I'm not looking for your praise, but get out of bed at five o'clock this morning and ride two and a half hours down here and ride another four hours out so we can have a two-hour chat. 
meets both of those fucking easily. So it's a no-brainer. Everything I do in my life goes through those filters. And that gives me a North Star to be able to know where I'm driving towards. And that's why people are fucked because they don't have that. There's your left and right right of arc, right? Super simple. If I'm a, if, is what I'm doing having me be a loving and loving, powerful and courageous leader to me first and then other people around me? And am I helping people and having a positive impact? And even if it comes down to the simple thing, as weird as this will sound, of going, if I'm sitting in a fucking cafe and some guy stands up and starts abusing his partner or smashing shit or whatever, I will be a loving, powerful and courageous leader in the way I engage with him to have a positive impact. So I'm not going to be a violent psychopath. So I would go to him and go, hey, mate, what are you doing? Like, do you think that's okay? And if I lovingly have to choke him fucking unconscious, I will. And I mean that in a loving sense, right? And it sounds weird, but like what you said before, Sats, someone who's an alpha male and a true warrior is loving first, and that's 90% of their fucking personality. That's what drives the violence. The violence is driven by love and courage and power to want to help other people. Violence, I wish there was a better word. I wish we could use violence for shit humans and there was another word for decent humans that was the same thing, right? But if you know who you are and you know why you do what you do, everything's easy. Do I get out of bed at four in the morning? For me, I go, fuck yeah, because I, that's, I'm a loving, powerful, courageous leader and I want to help people and have a positive impact. When I'm on social media all the time talking about being authentic and pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, I can't sit in bed like a sack of shit and lie because that's just not who I am. If you do those two things, you'll be really happy. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's that value setting and stuff. Well, it's almost identical. Yeah, we, we've got a we we coined the the um, acronym trip, and it was what the the essential parts of human um, behavior or, or our life to be happy is. You need tribe, you need routine, you need identity, and you need well, you need to know your identity, you need to know what your purpose is. Awesome. And identity and purpose are the two things you just covered off, and that is for you. And then you, you figure those out, or you someone helps you figure out what that is. Um, like you've just done in in a five second version. It's fantastic. Then you surround yourself with a tribe of people who have the same kind of values, same beliefs, and same whatever. And then you get your life into some kind of routine. It's hard to fuck that up. Like if you've got those four things, I love it. That's you're, awesome. You're going to have a, a healthy, happy life. That's they're they're awesome. the four things that the cops give you, the military gives you, any kind, and the, the things that they take away real quick when you leave. And so that's, I think, where we've got to figure out your identity and purpose stuff. If you can re- re-establish that without the uniform, then you, you're pretty stable. And what I love about what you guys are doing, which has just dawned on me and it won't have just dawned on you, is when you're looking, we're looking for someone for people to have a tribe, you guys have created that with Swiss Aid, mm. right? And it's ironic to me, none of us have actually tied that together. Well, you probably already have, but I mean, as we're having this chat, you guys are creating an unbelievable tribe. Like I'm creating a tribe within the Strong Life Project and that's why I reached out to you guys originally, right? And was like, when we had our first chat, so that's for an hour, I just live on the front foot and when I hung up, I was like, fuck, you didn't, you don't even know this guy and you're going into deep stuff for him, you know, and I'm like, but I go, fuck, that's who I want to be because when I hang up the phone, I'm uncomfortable. I go, you've pushed the edges. Yeah. You know, if I hung up, I was like, oh, mate, nice to meet you. And even when I come in here and meet you boys, and what I love is we didn't chat until we sat down and started recording, which is fucking awesome because I'm literally getting to know you as we're getting to know each other and it was uncomfortable. Like at first I was a bit nervous. You boys are probably yeah, a bit yeah. like – Oh geez, what are we going to say? Is it going to be? Is this going to be good? Will it be shit? That's where you want to live, right? On the edges. Nah, as soon as you walked in, I was like, "This will be all right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this well, guy could talk about himself. Well, like, yeah. like, like Max was saying before, it's like we used to try and script it us, and yeah. we're like, "Fuck, this is almost 
the fakeness that we're trying to sure. fight against. And, so, and that was just our own insecurity going, we need to have questions, otherwise we might get five minutes in and, and you, your brain freezes and you don't yeah. want to fuck. And it's like, well, now getting a bit more comfortable, it's like, I'd rather, I'd rather sit down totally, and hit, hit record and go, Let's see what we can do. Like, well, even the authenticity. So, you know, the, we, t- we talk about the foundation you were getting involved with Gary Jubelin. Yeah. Was, was you know, earlier podcasts, I would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know that foundation and that would be in the conversation. And I'm like, you fucking don't know that foundation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ask the fucking dude awesome, about it. Have a bro. conversation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the thing, like Jubes is, and I know you guys have met him, right? I love him. Great dude. So when I first met him, it was off the back of he'd been sacked from the police and all the stuff he went through, right? And I met him through another mate of mine, his next um, – tactical response dude here in New South Wales. So I went and met Tubes and it was just to catch up with him. Like I knew he had his podcast. It wasn't to try and get in, get on it. I'm like, that'd be epic, but he's just a cool guy. So I caught up with him. We spent two hours together and I was just talking to him about his exit from the police. It was pretty putrid. Like they treated him really badly. And when I went on his podcast, it was like two years later. So it was only this year, COVID, blah, blah. And on there he goes, mate, you really struck me the first time I met you as someone who genuinely gives a fuck. He said, we spent the whole time talking about me and I walked away from that, Im- as in him, he goes, I walked away from that really impacted. He said, I really thank you. And I'm like, oh, thanks. And I love that. It's, I feel weird. Yeah. But I go, feel fucking weird. Like mm. be on the edges because we have such, like it's all the stuff we talked about, but we have such this fucking manufactured look and everything else that we have and nobody gets to see each other because we're wearing our masks and nobody ever takes theirs off. And a simple example I use is if if trying to connect with people in your life, it's like if you're in opposite hotel rooms in a hotel room, right, hotel room, whatever. So if you guys had a room on the other side of the hallway to mine and I'm like, let's say you're both in it together for, for the, for the um, example. And I'm like, I'd really love to connect with Sats and Mac, uh, Max. They look like awesome dudes. But I'm like, I open my door and go, oh, fuck, their door shut. So I wait. And I try to time it where I can open my door and your door's open and we can have an emotional connection. So I go, what's the chance of that actually happening, that, that moment where we both open it? Fucking zero. But if I open mine and just stand there with the door open and wait until you open yours, then we'll connect. Or better, what if I go and knock on the fucking door and open your door and then we have an emotional connection? Yeah. And I go... Because we spend our whole life looking through the peephole, waiting for the other person's door to open first because we're scared of rejection. And it's fucking, it's, it's just sad. Mate, uh, Pricey, um, well, he's probably shouldn't have said, anyway, one of the boys, he, uh, he, he really resonated with him. So he's been over doing a, a job for, for a few years and he's been going through some fucking, you know, just high-end gunfighting sort of stuff. And he's just like, got to the end of it and he's like, he asked another bloke at work, he's like, Mate, how are you doing? How are you doing? Because he wasn't doing well. He's like, man, how are you doing? He goes, man, I'm fucked. And they both sat there and were like, dude, I've been dealing with this shit for how fucking- How good. Right? And he's like, probably should have just asked the kind of how he was. Because <laughs> how could you not be? Yeah. Like, how could you fucking not be? Like, to go and do those jobs, like, I would go back and do it tomorrow, like we talked about before. But I also realise there'll be an impact in it. Yeah. And the problem is so many soldiers and police and, and other, you know, emergency doctors, nurses, fireys, they get to sleep a lot, but- that's a deliberate chop at fireys, but I'm not being serious. Ambos, all these people, right, they have a personality to go and fucking do shit that no one else does to help other people. So you're emotionally connected and loving. Then we try to fucking pretend we're not and we shut it down when if, you go, if you're a sociopath or psychopath, some cops are, some soldiers are because people are. 
and it's the same shallow gene pool you recruit from. Statistically, there will be. They're fine because they don't care. Most of us join those jobs because you care. You, did you boys join the military because you want to do something significant, yeah, help yeah, people? Absolutely. Right? So you're loving, caring people. So you go and do shit that's fucking hard and we shut down the emotion and then wonder why we're impacted. Like it just makes no sense. You are loving, caring, so you're more vulnerable and more probably possibly impacted by the violence and the shit you see, but it doesn't mean you fall in a heap and you're crying and you curl up in a fetal position because you go, like a couple of things I've said, I've noticed real emotion in your face. I go, it's awesome. It's fucking epic because, but if I sat here like a, like a, statue and told the paperclip 12 people fucking warrior story, this chat would have been fucking shit. And I go, see, we've got to realise if you're going to do epic stuff that's violent and difficult and challenging in these careers, then you've got to be equally, if, if one end of the, the um, balance and the spectrum is I move my right arm all the way to extension on my right, if that's where you're living in violence, which is where we do, then extend my arm all the way to the left, that's as vulnerable and open and loving as you need to be because otherwise it's out of balance and that's why we're fucked. That's Absolutely. exactly what it is. Yep. And then the David Goggins thing, I, I don't know how much you've watched him. I love him. Like I wouldn't want to hang out with him. I think he'd be a nightmare. But he's a, he's a cool dude. Like he's, his, his commitment to life. And he's, he came up with this example that I love. Now I'm very spiritual, but I'm not religious. Grew up Catholic, but, you know, I'm not religious. But I believe there's something. And I believe that something is just if you're a good person, it comes back. It's karma, whatever, whatever you sort of believe in. That's what I think. He, he calls it God. He's Christian. He goes, his belief is you see God. Sorry, keep going. Oh, you're right, mate. back two seconds. You're right. He goes, when um, you go to heaven, he, he believes that God's there with a list and he has a list of shit that you could have done in your life. And he said, when you get there, he has a list of shit you did. And God holds up the list of shit you could have done and the list of shit you did and compares them. And he said, most people never get anywhere near what they could have achieved. He goes, his opinion is, he goes, when I, he speaks, this is how he speaks. He goes, when I get to heaven and God has my list, the shit I could have fucking achieved, he goes, I want him to pull out the list of what I have achieved and I want him to be like, holy shit, there's stuff on here that I didn't even know you could do. <laughs> so to me, I go, I love that idea of, of pushing ourselves as hard as we can to do the things that we don't think are possible. There was no chance that I could have written a book. I've written three and a half books now. And I had no idea how to write a book. I Googled it, started writing it. How did you – what was the point? What was the – because I love this point of like why people drive and do things and what motivates them to get – you're sitting there, you know, I mean obviously, um, yeah, what, what is it that drives you to actually sit down and write the book and start putting words? You just start. Yeah, I started – look, people said to me um, – so I published it I think five years ago, six years ago, and I've been doing coaching for about 10 or 12. So people would say to me, you should write a book. You've got a great story, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted it to be more than the story. And I just, like there's, there's 10,000 other people who've got the similar stories that I've got. You've got them. So many people have them. But I didn't want it to just be the paperclip surrounded by 12 guys' story. One day I was like, you know what? In my head I have these conversations all the time. I'm like, if you actually want to fucking help people, you need to do some shit that you're really uncomfortable in. And writing my book was massively that. It was fucking so uncomfortable. So I literally sat down and went, how many words in a nonfiction book? And it was 75,000 was the first article. And I went, right, so how many chapters? So it, and somehow I came up with 50. I can't remember if I Googled that or if I just said 50. So I go 50, and I didn't do this in my head because I'm a dumbass, but I went 50 
um, 75,000 words divided by 50, 1,500. I go, I'll write 50 chapters at 1,500. And I write chapter one, introduction, and then I started fucking writing. When I'd get around 1,500, I'd go to the second one. And just chronologically in my life, I let it fold out. Then I did exactly the same thing with this How to Be a Good Man and the same thing with the police and military book. And I'm halfway through writing a book about how to deal with narcissism. So, and what I do is just, I just sat down like I would, if I was sitting talking to you, and I'm not even sure it was this clear in my head at that time, but it was like, so, you know, I was born here and I did this and this is what it was like and fuck this and blah, 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 blah. And then I just went back. My mum edited it. Um, I had my auntie edited it, edit it, and then I ran through some software. I had some people read it. They came back to me. One guy came back to me and goes, you say fuck way too much in it. I was like, oh, really? And then I like I did the word search and it was like, fuck, yeah, 10,000. It was something ridiculous. <laughs> it wasn't 10,000. It was so, I was like, yeah, it's probably too many. And then I put it together and put it out and I tell you, so that was a 12-month process. I found a self – like I go, how do you publish a book? Self-publish. So I go, I had no idea how to get to publishers. I'm like, well, I don't know. So self-publish, which just means that you can only get it through this one place or Amazon or whatever, right? It's not in bookstores. So I looked at that. Then I just Googled and I found one. And I rang them and emailed them and this chick rang me and her husband happened to be a cop. She was down actually around Newcastle somewhere. So I put it out. And I got there's a there's a um, photo on the front of my book which is a photo of me in about 2000. Oh, sorry, in about 1994, where my dad was a president of the police union, and they had a he he rang me one day. He goes, "Hey, I need you to um come and do a photo shoot for the union." And I was like, "Get fucked up, no, no chance." And he goes, "No, I need someone to come in." So it was basically like a cop who looked like he was massively struggling, and that was like without us, you're on your own. It was like a campaign. I said no. He goes, all right, well, if you're not going to help your mates, don't fucking do it. I was like, God, got me. So I went and did it. And it was ours. I forgot all about it. So he goes, no one will know who you are. So I've got my head in my hand. I'm in uniform. I've got my head in my hands in a locker, like a locker behind me, like a like a locker room, a day room. And my police cap beside me, and I'm supposed to be struggling just in gent with whatever. So I forgot all about that. Um, and when it came out, I got smashed. So they said, we'll change your name tag. So they changed it from Sean O'Gorman to Sean Gordon. And it came out one night and the next day the jo- there was two joke books we used to have at the dog squad, like Phil's cat books, full of this thing photographed and like, oh, I didn't know she was 14. Like fucking just, you know, just <laughs> yeah, all, just, just all smashed me. Yeah. Absolutely. I got destroyed for years. I forgot about it. When I started writing the book, I was like, what would I put on it? Like, I don't know what to see it. I called it my dark companion because that suicidal thoughts was always with me. And then a friend of mine sent me a text from Mackay Police Station in Queensland and goes, you still haunt the hallways, and it was that poster. And I was like, fuck, just out of nowhere. I'm like, holy shit. I rang a mate of mine at the union. He goes, oh, I said, can I get the rights to use that for my book? He's like, um, I said, do you guys even have that? He goes, mate, six months ago we just got that image from the photographer and into a digital file because we're using it for the campaign again. Of course you can have it. So all this shit just happened. I put it together, and then I got the book sent to me, one copy and I was working in the corporate world still and I got it to the office and I for, I'd forgotten it was coming sort of thing and I opened it and it was the book and I was like, fuck, I was really confronted. I was like, Jesus. So I put it in my backpack, took it home and I was sitting at home and Rach was there cooking and I was like, I said, oh, my book came, babe. She goes, oh, that's awesome. So she's been in the process for 12 months or 18 months, right? She's read it heaps of times so it's just to her normal. I'm looking at it going, fuck. Like I'm looking at 
me on the front of it. I'll read the back of it. And I kept opening it at random pages and reading it. And I'd go, why did I put that in there? Fuck. And I'd go another point, same thing. And I was so scared. And I literally sat there and I was like really anxious and pretty emotional. She goes, you're good? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then I was like, I, I don't think I can do it. I was like, you know what? I think I'll just put this in a drawer and this can be for my kids. And there was a voice in my head go, don't be a fucking coward. So I put it, I took a photo front and back and put it on Facebook. Um, and I was terrified. And the response came in was overwhelming, like, oh, you're so courageous, blah, 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 all this stuff. But when I, the thing that was so amazing in that, and I didn't even realize I was telling you that in depth story till right now, is the shit that I was the most scared of in my fucking life, I'd never told anyone is in that book. Every fucking part of my story is in that book. The, I do not sound like a hard man in that book at all. And since I put that out, and since I've been talking about this stuff, I've done probably 300 plus presentations and keynotes and that to people over the last five years, probably more. I talk so openly about everything. I don't know how many 30 podcast interviews, I don't know, fucking shitloads. I go, I don't have any fear of what people think anymore like I used to because all of my most vulnerable, deepest and darkest secrets are out in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose it's exposure therapy as well. To it is. It's cathartic, mate. It's journalism. It's uh, And that would be confronting. That book would be confronting to, to write and read and look at. And then I'd put it on Audible last year. So I had to go and um, narrate it. So I narrated it myself. Oh, you got a voice I could listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks, mate. Yeah. I've been It took a lot longer than I wanted, but that's, I still accept your, your compliment. I, um, and when I, when I, and I went through it and I heard another book done by a guy called Gary V and actually David Goggins the same. Because it was four years old when I did it, I updated parts. So I'd read it and go just to interrupt, go off script, this is where it's at now, blah, blah, blah. And I listened back to it myself and it was still really weird, but it was, it like was still really confronting, but I was like, fuck, I'm so proud of that. And it's probably the thing that I will be the most proud of in my career stuff. Who knows? Hopefully not, but at this stage it is. Because I go, there is a level of vulnerability and openness in that that I was terrified of where I used to walk in a room full of people at a party and be really anxious about what they thought of me all of this other stuff which is so normal now I go I still have the fear of what people think but it just doesn't matter because my secrets are out there so whether it's your, your gunfighter mate whether it's a 12 year old girl who's listening to this probably won't be because of the language but whoever it is that's listening to this podcast just go there's nothing that you can tell someone or ask someone or talk to people about that will have them hate you. And if they do, they're just the wrong fucking people. And if anybody came to you two guys or me and said, hey, I'm fucking really struggling, I'm thinking about ending my life or whatever, you know, and that that's the extreme version, then there's no way in the world you boys would go, fuck off, you're weak. No. But you have that opinion and I have that opinion of ourselves. Mm. So all of our personalities – would go, you ring me at 3 in the morning, bro, I'm there. I've got a new thing. I talk about 3 a.m. friends. I only have 3 a.m. friends in my life. If I can call you at 3 a.m. and say, bring a shovel, but don't bring your phone, we have a job to do, and you turn up, you're one of my 3 a.m. friends. Yep. If you ask any questions, you're not. Because I go, if I can't depend on you, then in the good times, there's no point having you around because friendship is about when shit gets fucking bad, the people have your back. You know, it's the old from our old worlds to go, if we've got to kick a door in and go in where a guy's got a gun, I need to fucking know you're on my shoulder no matter what. And it's that same thing we need to apply to the people around us. So you go, if you don't have those people, find them. And you can find them in podcasts and, and whatever. But at the end of the day, 
you said something before, such which I agree. There's people only regret things they didn't do. There's a whole lot of research around palliative care nursing where they've written all these books to go. They nurse people to, in, to death in their 90s and whatever. Every one of them regrets the shit they didn't try. They don't regret the shit they fucked up. So you go be open, be vulnerable, be loving, talk to people about the real shit, not the weather and fucking maths or some other shit, and then understand that you're going to fuck things up. That's what life's, life's about. If you're not stumbling and falling, you're not trying hard enough. If you, if you live in the margins, if you live in the middle of the fucking pack, you'll be miserable. Get outside it. Get as far out to the fucking, you know, the extremes that you can in everything you do, then you'll be happy. Spot on. Mate, you've nailed it. <laughs> Mate, we might have to wrap it up there. Um, we've got uh, Clay coming on in. Fuck, it's going to be a big day podcasting. Yeah. Mate, thanks for coming on. Um, like I said, we'll I'll clip some shorts out and get them in the show notes so people can find where your book is and, and your website. Awesome. Um, uh, mate, that was brilliant. Thanks for coming on and thanks for having a share. I've also got um, a private group with 300 people in it that I forgot about, Cops and Soldiers, that um, if any of you guys listen to this, send me a message on social media, I'll put you in that group because I'm getting too busy to be able to talk to people individually often, as fucking wanky as that sounds. But if people want to get more of my stuff or want more help or whatever, put it in, join this group. And if they send me a message, I'll do a video, put in the group so everybody gets a benefit of it. And um, we will talk. I'll help you boys with anything I possibly can. Thanks, mate. Love it. Thanks, Love boys. It.